0: This is Patriots Playbook. The legend.
1: Yeah, now I complimented Matt Patricia, too. I, you complimented I, I don't know if I'm going to do that in you, this you, you may not be doing
0: that here in the next couple of minutes, no. right? It's always been said, halfway through the year, you know what you have. You know what I see right now from this Patriots team? Like, all of a sudden, Cody make
1: Myers is wide open. Devontae Parker is Randy Moss. Like, I, I what is going on?
0: Disney would have disallowed that script. <laughs>
1: yeah. Last
0: place denizen of the uh, Patriots Playbook. Uh Fantasy League, uh, Todd in North Carolina. Hi, Todd. Once they got the Todd out of the equation, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Morel, I know where you work. <laughs> now here's your host of Patriots Playbook, John Rook. Looks to me like maybe he wants to defend himself a little bit. He's you know sitting here on the phone already, that, right?
1: People that threaten Morrell, I don't think they understand who uh, they're threatening. No, I don't think they do either. Don't think they know. Guy's either. got a particular set of skills. Yeah, I, I would stay away. Yeah, I think you know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. Uh, we've had this discussion before, so you know, I I respect Rains. the. Yeah, exactly. I respect the hell out of what uh, Matt Morrell has done with his his career thus far to this point in time, and uh, absolutely. Yeah, and then of course uh, you know we've got uh, you know we've got Veterans Day coming up here in another week, right? So before Veterans Day is the real holiday. What's that? Marine Corps birthday. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. I should have, I should have known that. Semper Fi. Yeah, Number 10, baby. <laughs> Drop it, give me 20! You know, that kind of thing. Cake and sing the hymn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll learn the hymn, but you don't want to hear me sing it. Welcome into the playbook. Um, week 9 of the NFL season, we are screeching by. Uh, and, and, and I guess I feel... A lot better this week than I felt last week. You know, we you know heard in the open there some of the excerpts from last week, and it you know let's face it, they laid a huge, huge goose egg. Uh, even though they they scored, but it was just it was just abysmal uh, against Chicago on Monday night. How much better do you really feel now, though, about these Patriots going on the road and beating the Jets? Now, look, say what you want to about hey, it's thirteen in a row. We'll always beat the Jets. Well, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But I still have the feeling that some of the media, I think, also share this week, Evan. I don't know how you feel about it, so we'll find out here. But I kind of feel like the Jets lost more than the Patriots won.
1: Yeah, I think defensively you come away from that game, taking the boneheaded turnovers aside from Zach Wilson, I I do think you come away with that game feeling pretty optimistic about what they were able to do in the pass rush in particular. I thought this was one of their – better pass rush games of the season. Uh, they pressured Zach Wilson on over 40% of his dropbacks, but more so than that, they executed the plan of pressuring him at a very high level where they essentially had two schools of thought. One was giving Matt Judon, Dietrich Wise, both basically both those guys, a green light while having others spy or contain or however you want to term that and keep him in the pocket at the same time. Or uh, when they flushed him, they essentially continued to run him into the sideline. And instead of allowing him to then turn up field and run, yeah. uh, they made him make a decision with yeah. the football.
0: So, Which is really how they should be handling you know, all of these quote-unquote athletic quarterbacks yes. and run out of the pocket. It's just that they didn't allow Wilson to beat them with his legs like they've done with the other quote-unquote athletic right. quarterbacks.
1: Right. So what I, I come away from this game against the Jets feeling really optimistic about is I do think that they – have potentially and look they could play buffalo after the bye or they could play arizona with kyler and and it might not they might be bad right like i'm not saying it's all sunshines and rainbows but i came away from that game saying that's the blueprint for this team against mobile quarterbacks right and i get the design quarterback runs is a whole different element that the jets didn't really touch on but in terms of rushing him when they're dropping back to pass you know, cornering them towards the sideline, forcing them to make a throw, pressuring while others contain or others spy. Like, they weren't just letting Zach Wilson sit there with all day to throw, scanning the field like they did with Justin Fields. So take the, I said it yesterday, take the mush rush, take the, I call it the Star Wars trash compactor strategy where they're just trying to press the pocket um, around the quarterback. Take that and, and throw it away. Like, it doesn't work. Okay, It just doesn't work against NFL quarterbacks. What does work is what they did on Sunday, which is let certain guys, whether it's a design blitz or it's Judon just getting the green light to go ahead and, and rush one-on-one, let certain guys in the pass rush get after the quarterback and other guys that are fast like Mac Wilson or Josh Uche can spy and combine it together like that so you're getting pressure and you're getting containment at the same time. So I, I liked how they rushed the quarterback in that game. Uh I would say that the offense is still very much a a sticking point to me. Uh mainly I, I won't get too go too hard on Matt Patricia, uh, but uh the blocking up front is a major major red flag right now yeah. to me. So whether you want to blame that on uh Matt Patricia coaching the offensive line, and and you know the design of the offense. I, I think there's some truth to that, but at the end of the day, the players got to go out there and, and execute and play well.
0: Can we all? How much do we still put off on speaking of the line? How much do we still put off on David Andrews' absence?
1: Huge. I mean, it affected two spots, right? Because Cole Strange had his worst game of the year at left guard, and they w- went down to peg and center too. So yeah. they center and left guard were impacted by David Andrews not being there, but. That doesn't explain the issues at right tackle. And Marcus Cannon wasn't even at practice today. On Sunday, he allowed eight hurries in that game against the Jets. John Franklin Myers absolutely ate him up, and so did their other rusher um, that I'm blanking on. I think it's Bryce Huff is his name. Mm. Uh, He's been low-key kind of sneaky good this year for the Jets as well And their pass rush package. uh, Those two guys ate him up. Isaiah Wynn came into the game the very first Pass out of the game for Isaiah Wynn, Put on skates right back into Mac Jones's lap sack. So you see their situation at right tackle. It's very it's dire. I mean, they don't have a great answer there. Uh, we were talking about it on Unfiltered. Maybe Yodhny Kajust finally gets a, a look. Because yep. it can't be worse than this, so you might as well give a guy with some high upside and athleticism and youth uh, like Yadni a chance, because right now the two guys that they rolled out there in Cannon and Wynn are a disaster. Why has
0: Wynn had the season he's had?
1: I... I think it's two things. He's one, regressed. One, I think that flipping sides has really made a major impact on him. Uh, what you look at with his footwork, uh, his footwork is all out of whack. Uh, he's not getting a lot of depth out of his kick slide because he's now kicking with the opposite foot, right? So he was he was on the left side, and the inside foot is the right foot. Now the inside foot is the left foot because he's on the uh, on the right side. So. He's flip-flopping size. His footwork is a mess as a result. But more so than that, I—I I, I actually I shouldn't say that. Less so than that, I do think an underlying situation with Isaiah Win is his general unhappiness with the team, with us. Like he—he's not very, very forthcoming or very willing to talk to the media currently. He doesn't have to talk to the media. I don't care if he talks or not. But you can just tell that. He has
0: hammering him. That's partly it.
1: I know. I have no like if you don't want to talk to us, you don't have to talk to us like we're annoying. I get it. You don't have to talk to us. But I think the biggest thing that you can see from somebody uh, that's observing the team is that he's just disgruntled, like he just doesn't want to be here. It seems like, and that is reflective on the tape because I don't think at uh, times I I think his effort and his maybe his focus is a better way of putting it. Um, you know, we know the penalties. Like he's he's false starting. Like is that mm. because he's on the right side? Is that because uh whatever? No, it's because I think he, he's
0: just anticipating snap count and he's trying to get back in his stance and he didn't want to get beat. I think he. He has a low uh, amount of self confidence. Is what that tells At right me. Right tackle, At definitely. Right tackle.
1: Yeah, and so you know, I, I think that there's focus errors on his tape when it comes to the penalties. I think that there's technique errors on on, on his tape as well with his footwork. And um, do we it's, solve it's, these
0: problems if he
1: goes back to the left side? Well, if I, I've I have concerns about that because. Right now, and I think we saw that with David Andrews being out on Sunday, David Andrews and Trent Brown being on either side of Cole Strange is propping Cole Strange up quite a bit. And that's allowing Cole Strange to function as a rookie guard Starting in the league in his first season is because he's got two rock solid veteran guys
0: around him. Around him, yeah. so
1: if you flip win over there, I think that you're going to have a lot of. Then trouble. all of a
0: sudden, you might have an issue on the left side, and that's the blind side, of course, to a yeah, right-handed quarterback. I think you
1: have now you have two problems instead of one, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess I can understand it. It's just that the whole thing has come as a little bit of a shock to me because I, you know, I, has he ever been spectacular? No, but he's certainly been. Serviceable, if not better, you know, from the left side when he was there. But we always thought, you know, even when they draft him, we thought that he was undersized. But he certainly showed with his athleticism and his footwork and everything else that he was more than capable of manning the spot. But this year has been a complete 180-degree turn, and I'm wondering if it's just because he flipped to the other side of the line.
1: I think it's a lot to do with it. Uh, I think the biggest thing, too, with this is their best five involves Isaiah Wynn. Right, like yeah. their most talented yeah. Yeah. five linemen it involves Isaiah Wynn on the field. So I would love to sit here and say that maybe Bill goes into Isaiah Win or calls him into his office and says, "Look, you got nine more games left as a Patriot right now, based off the contract. If you play well, tackles get paid. Isaiah, they get paid a lot of money when they when you're a good NFL tackle, whether you're left or right or whatever, you're gonna get." 10 plus million dollars a year if you put nine good tape games of really good tape out there for teams to see you're gonna get your contract right you're gonna get your contract and it's we're gonna benefit you're gonna benefit and maybe they can actually get him to to focus again and get locked in again and get the best out of him for the next nine games but I just I I can't be confident that he's going to put the best foot out there. Like I can't be confident that he's going to put his best foot forward and do those things. So unless they see it behind the scenes, and that's certainly something that I am not privy to, like they are, of course, maybe they believe in it a little bit more if they can have some uh, a coming to Jesus like that. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of what he needs, if you ask me.
0: That being said. Mac Jones' performance, I thought, was, if not certainly, was far from perfect, but I thought it was a step in the right direction. I thought it was a step that he needed to take. He looked more assertive. Uh, he looked more confident. Maybe he did airmail a couple of balls again, but at the same time, uh, he airmailed a really bad one that he got bailed out on, on a questionable roughing the passer call anyway. But you, you'll take it when you can get it, correct? He survived. Yeah.
1: He survived a game, where and it's a formidable a front.
0: Let's give the Jets some credit here. Yeah, that is an extraordinarily formidable, athletic, physical front four. They they were rushing four in that first half, and they were dominating. Yeah, again, the Patriots were down on the offensive line, but the Jets were handling it without any extra help from their back. You know, their 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 back seven.
1: Oh yeah, no, that it's a great front. It's a good defense, and they. Got after Mac Jones, forty percent pressure rate, six sacks. Yeah. When you go back and watch the tape, the first half is actually pretty impressive, and I think that's sort of what I've said, what's what what uh, Greg Bedard has said, and some people have pushed back on us like, "Oh, he was terrible." Like, how could you say that? But no. when you go back and you watch the first half, and you really go uh, play by play, throw by throw, decision by decision on the all twenty uh, two, he had a really he he was good in in the first half. I mean, especially on third down. He's making plays all over the field on third down, whether it's uh, with his legs scrambling twice for first downs on third down, throws uh, Jacoby Myers' crossing route or Mondre on the angle right out of the backfield, uh, You know, checking the ball down when he's supposed to check it down and uh, reaping the benefits of Jonu Smith breaking tackles or Jacoby picking up blocks and making the line to gain. So he was really good on third down in the first half. This game to me comes down to two plays. If, if your opinion on Mac comes down to two plays, one of them is obviously the pick six that didn't count, and the other is the fourth and one, right? Like it, those are the two plays that I think hinge on. Now I was in the locker room yesterday, and I went up to Jacoby Myers and I said, "Jacoby, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus." but I want to be right about this. I want to be right about who I am saying was at fault and who I, and how I break down this play on the pick six. And Jacoby said he ran the wrong route. He said he ran the wrong route. He said that he had an option. Could have sat it down. He could have break it, broken it out. He should have broken outside. Okay. And that's where the ball went. Now I will allow for the fact that maybe it's an interception anyways. Mm -hmm. Like, The Jets defender had a good read on Mac Jones. Maybe he picks it off anyways, but for what it's worth, I think the quarterback didn't want to throw his guy under the bus, but he kind of hinted at it a couple times, both on Sunday after the game and on his radio appearance on Monday calling it a miscommunication. And then Jacoby told me yesterday that he read the route wrong. So take that for what you will.
0: Mac fell on the sword a little bit.
1: Yeah, so I I think that there's – that play to me is is really, if you think that that you saw the pick six happen, so whether it was taken back or not, you saw it happen with your own eyes. And if you think that the quarterback is at all to f- at fault for that pick six, then you think Mac played terribly. Yeah, that that because it was a bad throw. Like it was a bad. It was. It was a bad play. I should say right. Yeah. Like it was an ugly play. So I, I get it, but I I think that when you really start to break it down then in the second half. I actually thought that the second half was a little bit more clunky even than the first half was at times, but the second half I thought what he did a, a nice job with was giving, uh, giving the game what it needed, right? Like knowing when to just take the three points and get off the field and, and not necessarily turn the ball over like the other guy was doing, right? That's not to say that he was out there making great plays or, or did anything spectacular, but Zach Wilson was handing them the ball game. Right, Zach Wilson throwing three interceptions and five possessions, and, and he's he's handing you the football game. And instead, there was of, definitely
0: some Sam Darnold ghosts out there.
1: Yeah, instead of forcing the issue and and throwing this and going it, turnover for turnover, yeah. with Zach Wilson. He made the safe decisions with the football now. He had an interception or should have been interception that was dropped by CJ Mosley. Uh, I thought that the strip sack, he probably could have gotten rid right of the ball a little bit faster in that instance. So certainly a lot to correct. Uh, but overall, I, I would give him like a C minus uh, a passing grade. He survived the game where the defensive front was dominating the Patriots offensive line, but I can't give him anything better than that. Cause it, it wasn't, A spectacular game especially situationally you know there was a a couple of situational mistakes that really hurt them
0: which gets me back to my original premise I kind of thought that the Jets lost it more than the Patriots won it I
1: think there's some truth to that I I think that in a lot of these games not that Bill Belichick ever goes into the game thinking that the other quarterback is going to throw three picks and five possessions and and hand them the game the way the Jets Mm -hmm. handed them the game but I think to a degree he does think that when he faces guys like Zach Wilson, and he knows that his defense is going to eventually give them some really good field position with turnovers or or with three and outs or whatever the case may be. So uh, I would say that maybe the Jets handed them the game, or maybe the Jets lost it more than the Patriots won it. But that might that was sort of the game plan, right? Like that they kind of knew that that was how they were going to win this game, and they did it. So they
0: gave the Jets reasons to mess up. Right. They provided some looks. They did some things that they thought clearly they would uh, you know, be able to affect Zach Wilson, and it worked.
1: Yeah, and I would also say you know, the Jets coming into this game, I know Brees Hall didn't play. He's on injured right. reserve. He's out for the year. Right. But they came into this game on that four-game winning streak where Zach really didn't throw the ball a whole lot. Then they get it to the Patriots, and even though they were winning 10 to nothing in the game early, or whatever it was, 10-3, 10-3 or whatever yeah. it was, he still threw the ball 40 times. So the Patriots were able to stop the run, which I thought was a massive part of, you know, underscore of this game was that they were able to stop the run on early downs and really force this game into Zach Wilson's hands. Yep. And then they took advantage of the turnover. So I, in a lot of ways, I, I thought that the defense played a really great game.
0: I actually uh, applauded the Jets when they learned that Brees Hall was, You know, going to be out when they went out and picked up James Robinson as quickly as they did. I thought, you know, this is a team that really feels like it can win this year and reach the postseason this year and take the step that nobody expected them to take. And I applaud that, even if it's somewhat misguided and maybe inaccurate. They're not out of it. I mean, they're five and three, so they're still right in the middle of it uh, as it stands. They're out of the Patriots, for goodness sakes. But I just thought the, the 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 thought process was is that these guys think they can win. And sometimes that's all you need in order to be a good a good football team.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was what their media was saying going yeah. into the game was that they have some belief this year, which is different. Now, I think with Zach Wilson, the biggest thing that you look at is that it's hard to rein a guy like that in because in some respects the – Scramble drill plays like he had one early on in the game mm-hmm. where he rolls to his right mm-hmm. and they ran a really good concept down the field to get Garrett Wilson behind the defense and he hit like a 60-yard bomb to Garrett Wilson. So in some respects, those on-the-move type of throws are what make him dynamic, what make him a dangerous quarterback to play against. But the problem is, is that when you have one of those throws and then you have an arm punt to Devin McCourty for an interception on a, a play where he's <laughs> trying to do something similar. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you know, you don't want to take away the creativity because that's part of what makes him a dangerous player. As a quarterback, is outside the pocket on the run, he can flick it off platform with the best of them. He can go and he can roll to his right, and if you leave a receiver down the field, Zach Wilson can flick the wrist and throw the ball forty five yards in the air to that receiver. He can do it just like Mahomes does it, or any of the other quarterbacks in the league that have that trait. But then he also just doesn't know when to, when to throw it away right? and when, when to, to give up and, and live to survive the down.
0: I think that's one of the biggest issues with young quarterbacks. They don't know when to throw it away because they've never had to do it before. They always yeah. think they can make the play. And against you know, collegiate competition, they usually do make the play. You know, that, in fact, I saw a lot of that in the senior year from, um, uh, from, uh, Bailey Zappi. Yeah. He was that, because I mean, the competition defensively had no clue what he was doing and he just throw it up and his receivers would go get it. And, and so I think players, when they move to this level, they vastly underestimate the athleticism and the speed of a lot of defensive backs out there. And that's part of the reason why we saw what Zach Wilson did. You'd think he would know better by now. That's. The other issue I think a lot of Jets fans, in particular, might be having, that he's got to know he's got to throw that away. And and the criticism that I, the one main criticism that I've had of Mac, you know, in his now year and a half here, is that sometimes he doesn't know when to throw it away. He takes a sack I think too uh, too easily. You know, he's got to have a better sense of the pocket moving around him or even collapsing around him and just dump it off or dump it out of bounds while he's still in the pocket so he doesn't get the penalty. Instead, he just tucks it under and, and takes the sack. And I'm like, man, you're putting yourself in an awful bad position. I'd much rather have second and 10 than second and 16.
1: Yeah, it's a great point And I thought you know, he took six sacks on Sunday. Yeah, and I just—I
0: I thought about half of those were unnecessary.
1: Yeah, I, I had two of them. You know, I—I I, I like to—I don't like to nitpick too much, right? So that's what we I, do here. I, I, I we had, do that. That—that's what we're supposed to do. That I thought that he had at least check down options. Yeah. Maybe don't make the first down, but at least you're able to, you know, pick up the five yards and and not get so significantly behind the chains right Right. so i thought there was two of them like that there was one um in the red zone where hunter henry is trying to work like a you know sit down on the goal line type of route and he's waiting for it to come open he's waiting for it to come open and he never sees it come open so he doesn't throw the football and he tucks it down and takes a sack but hunter henry actually does get open but the lack of anticipation there and i think this is where some of the turnovers start to reap you know some some negatives for Mac is like I need to see it now because I, I don't want to throw with anticipation and expect Hunter Henry to to open and all of a sudden he falls down and it's a pick six going the other way right like you know I think that there's some concern level there protecting the football where he isn't making those bang bang type of throws with Hunter Henry this year in the red zone like he was last year so there's a lot of that going on I agree with you that you know there was some sacks there in that game where he didn't need to necessarily take a sack Uh, but I think with Wilson you see on the last interception by Devin McCourty which he literally fielded like a punt he did there's a guy coming across the field a Jets receiver and he flashes open for a split second, right? Like he's open for maybe a, a beat or two. And Zach Wilson sees that and thinks that he can get the ball get there. Him, yeah. And then all of a sudden, by the time the ball actually arrives, Closing, there's three yeah, Patriots yeah, there all around it. Yeah. And, and so those are the types of things that, yeah, you know, maybe it's a college transition or whatever, where you see it. And you're like, you know, that was never really actually open. Like it, it might look open for a second, but it's never actually NFL open at any point in time. Yeah,
0: that comes with savvy. That comes with experience. I'm just, you know, he hasn't caught on yet. Yeah. And I think that's part of the issue from the Jets' point of view. All right, so here's how we'll roll today. 855-PATS-500, the toll-free telephone number, uh, web radio at patriots.com, the email at JR broadcaster on Twitter. John.rook is the Facebook page as well. Uh, he's Evan Lazar coming up in 15 minutes. We'll be joined by Stephen Holder, who covers the Indianapolis Colts for ESPN and ESPN.com. Uh, then we have uh, Karen Gregan of the Washington Herald to join us uh, at the uh, beginning of hour number two, toward the beginning of hour number two, and of course Russell Baxter, the pro football guru who himself will be around the tail end of hour number two to go through week nine in the NFL season. Through week nine, Ev, okay? Through week nine. Are the Patriots in the hunt or is hunting season over?
1: They're in the hunt. I mean, but in the hunt for what? Right, that's like, what I'm asking. Yeah, so, are they in the
0: hunt or is hunting season over?
1: They're in the hunt for playoffs, but they're one game out of the playoffs right now, and they have one in hand against the Jets. So they're one game out of the playoffs. They're 100 percent in the hunt, but are they a contender? Are they, you know, to use like a, a media? Clean, are they for real? Like, are they actually in the hunt? I I would say no. But if you're just looking to make the playoffs, then yeah, they're they're. I mean they're four and four and they're one game out so yeah they're definitely in the hunt to make the postseason and i think last year uh, they ran into a buzzsaw in the buffalo bills in the first round on wild card weekend and maybe this year you sneak in and you get a more favorable first round matchup and you don't you somehow looking like buffalo right now you, you, you somehow <laughs> You're gonna play
0: the bills three times in like six weeks
1: you somehow avoid the bills in yeah. kansas city yeah. you get maybe you get you know Cincinnati or Baltimore or, you know, whoever wins the NFC North or NFC South by luck and and you have a much better matchup, but they're in the hunt. I mean, you can't just mathematically.
0: No, that's fine. And and really, that's kind of all we were looking for. What's going to take win-wise to get there? Can they squeeze in with nine or are they going to need 10?
1: I think they probably need 10. I mean, even with the extra spot, it seems like 10 is sort of the bottom line, right? You, You need to get to 10 to feel good about making the playoffs. Um You try to get to 10 with the rest of their schedule. That's where it gets a little dicey, right? I mean, I think this game against Indy and at home after the bye against the Jets, you would like to think that you can pencil those in as Ws. So now you're at six wins, and now out of that.
0: Well, let's kind of go through it. Colts, got to win, right? Yeah. Okay. Then the bye week. Then you got the Jets, got to win that. Right. So if you win both of those, you're six and four going into week 12. Okay. Six and four. Then, following the Jets, it's the Thanksgiving night game at Minnesota. It's not an easy game. Is it a must-win to get into the playoffs?
1: Probably, because I don't think you're beating Buffalo, and you play them twice more, and you know, Miami. Well, that's like, what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, you
0: got Minnesota, then you're off until December 1st. you got Buffalo at Arizona, at the Raiders, Bengals, Miami, at Buffalo.
1: Yikes! Yeah, it's one of the – Where t- are the wins coming from? It's one of the toughest remaining schedules in the league.
0: It is the toughest. I saw PFF – Uh, That's why I brought the question up. PFF uh, Pro Football Focus said, of the remaining eight games Mm -hmm. in the schedule, the Patriots have the toughest schedule in the NFL.
1: I will say, not to love PFF, cite them all the time, but two games against Buffalo going to skew It's going to skew it pretty yeah. significantly, right. nobody, But Because just the way it played out. You got both games of the second. Oh no, half. It, it's a terrible schedule, but yeah. but not but nobody else is playing Buffalo twice, right? So well, that's what it, makes it the toughest, right? So I, I think that you look at it and you and you you are you are hard pressed to find ten wins remaining on the schedule. That's why I'm saying. I mean, you you look at this. Okay, so you got to beat the Colts. You got to
0: beat the Jets. You probably have to beat Minnesota. Yeah. That gets you to seven. Minnesota on the road, too. Right. On the road, too, right? Yep. That gets you to seven. Buffalo at home. At Arizona, that probably becomes a win. It has to be a win, I'm thinking, at Arizona.
1: At the very least, I think you have to split the West Coast trip between yeah. Vegas and, and Arizona. Well, you have to at least split it. You
0: got, oh, Without a doubt. All right, so let's give them a split. So if you do that, so you're at seven and four. Let's say you lose to Buffalo at home. You're seven and five. You can split the next two at Arizona and at Vegas. That's eight and six. Cincinnati at home becomes must-win.
1: Yeah. It sounds like Jamar Chase will probably be back in, in time for that game. And so. then
0: Miami at home becomes a must-win on New Year's Day. Yeah. That gets you to 10. It's Holy hard. smokes. That's hard. Yeah. That's why I asked the question, are they really in the hunt? Because I'm not sure they are.
1: I think I' look i like I just said, they're one game out of a playoff spot, so just from the sheer but logistics this is through, this of is it, yeah,
0: this is through eight weeks, you know, so this is what we have, but you got half the season still to go, and I'm looking at the second half and knowing as tough as it is, I'm just like, dang, this is fool's gold,
1: I'm with you that they're they have a very tough schedule. I still think that you you don't you know, you don't wave a white flag in week nine when you're one game out of a playoff spot. No, 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 no.
0: Because you don't know what's gonna happen with right. other teams. You don't know what's gonna right. happen with other games. The, the 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 standings may come back to you. Whereas you don't necessarily need to win all the games. But I'm just saying if you look at it strictly from a, a win or a loss point of view, you know it's how we like schedule. to play this game at the beginning of the year and everybody says, Oh, you're full of it and oh, they're gonna win eleven games or whatever. Okay. Well, I'm looking at these last nine, I'm like, ooh. It's Man. tough, yeah. I don't it's know a tough how they how are they going to get four wins. I, I'm they got to get four wins out of the second half of the schedule. I don't know how they do it. It's going to be hard, yeah. really hard.
1: It is. There's no doubt about it. Now, I think it, you look at Minnesota. You they're six and one. I realize that, but I, they've had a really easy schedule to start the year, and I I don't think a lot of not a lot of the sharps are on Minnesota right now. Let me no. put it to you that way, right? I think well, that it's they- a
0: gr- it's a great opportunity. I think it's yeah. a great opportunity for the Patriots to you know maybe open some eyes. And I would guess if the Patriots can take care of their business, you know, the next two games, you know, you know, you have to win Sunday. You've got to you know. Take care of yourself in the off week because the Patriots the last couple of years have not played well coming off the off week, as we know. Yeah, But you got to win that game against the Jets again, repeat it, at least it's at home. And then you got to go out on the road and you need to beat Minnesota. But if you can do that and move to 7-4, and four, then you're going to get people talking about you and you have a chance to get some momentum like last year's momentum that can propel you a little ways.
1: Yeah, my biggest thing is that I'm not necessarily doubting that the fact that they can be in the hunt for the playoffs. I just think that in a lot of ways, they're just the same team that they were last year. And what was that really, no. right? You know, you, even if you make the playoffs. It's nice to make the playoffs. Last year, I think you had a little bit of the moral victory of making the playoffs with the rookie quarterback, and it, Mac played well. And it seems like you're headed in the right direction. But this year was supposed to be a year where not only did you make the playoffs, and I'm not saying you make a run to the Super Bowl, but not only do you make the playoffs, but at least on the Wild Card weekend, you have a competitive Wild Card yeah. game. Yeah, right?
0: yeah, and and I understand that. I my whole thing was this year, and you know. This. We've talked about it here on the show. I I thought that the Patriots would take a step in the right direction to return to the playoffs and win a first-round game, find a way to win a first-round game. Then I thought that would be a major step. If they get back to the playoffs, I'm, I'm almost revisiting this get back to the playoffs, I don't want them to, you know, I don't think they should get beat 52-3 to or, you know, you know, I know that wasn't the score last year, yeah. but I'm just saying they don't want to get spanked by Buffalo or whomever in that opening round because then I don't, you're right, you're no better off than really where you were a year ago. In fact, you might even have regressed somewhat. Right. But I think with a younger team with different faces and knowing that they're trying to set themselves up for what they expect to be a ton of salary cap room next year and returning and expiring contracts, I, I, the Patriots are in actually in pretty good shape, which is another reason why we didn't see them make any moves i think at the trade deadline earlier this week i mean it's amazing you've got all you got all each team in the afc East is flying around making moves except the patriots and the patriots are in last and i know to you know a lot of people that didn't make a whole lot of sense
1: i thought it made perfect sense well like you know, i
0: just said because their planning their, their eyesight is beyond 2022 here
1: i you know in any sport at the trade deadline whether it's football or any other sport professional sport you don't buy if you're not in a position to buy right like you don't you don't give up a first round pick for Bradley Chubb unless you think you're Miami and you think that Bradley Chubb makes he's going to stick around and, and is going to put you to over around. the top
0: and the same thing right? with Roquan Smith I mean, that was the one that a lot of people came back to me I, and fans coming to me and say, hey, you know, wow, don't you think they should have gotten after Roquan? And I said, well, yeah, he's a nice player. But I would tell you that I believe he's, you know, short deal here and he's becoming a free agent and you'd have an opportunity then to perhaps get him in the offseason anyway if you really think he's the guy.
1: I would also push back on just based off of the data that we've had in recent years, Paying a player at that position as much as he wants. At the inside linebacker position has not really worked out for teams that have done it recently. So there's definitely some of that, you know, cost analysis, right? That you know that they do a lot of here. Sure. Of value and things like that of the inside linebacker position, especially nowadays when you're in nickel and dime as much as you are. So I I the Patriots were not in a position to do, to buy at the deadline. They were not in a position. They don't. They don't have. Miami had other people's first round picks, right? They had San Francisco's first round pick from the Trey Lance. So trade. they had
0: ammo that the Patriots did not right. have.
1: So they can't. They had no chance of matching the deal that that the Miami Dolphins made for Bradley Chubb. Right. No chance. A guy like Roquan, I think, could have obviously helped. But I think that you're looking at this again and saying Baltimore, they had to pay Lamar Jackson but this year is like sort of the gotta-have-it year with Lamar in a lot of ways, so they're going for it. I don't think this Patriots team right now is in a position to go for it, and Mm -hmm. if you're not in a position to go for it, then you're in a position to sell. But the problem was is that a lot of their pieces that they were offering to other teams, Isaiah Wynn, had no value. So trading Isaiah Wynn and really – Hurting yourself in terms of tackle depth. Why
0: would you do that for a seventh round pick? Why would you do that, right, for a seventh round pick? That so, makes no sense. So
1: they had no. They weren't. Fire sailing, right? They're not trading Matthew. No, Judon. No, because they're still technically
0: in it. Why would you right. do that? You're right. you're, you're going to throw up your hands halfway through the year, even though you're only a game out of a playoff spot. Right.
1: So they're not trading Matthew Judon. They're not trading, uh, you know, guys like that 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 are their number, their Jacoby Myers. Like right. they're not getting rid of those guys. Right. So those guys are the guys that have value on your roster, and you're not trading them. So the guys that may, maybe they could have traded Kendrick Bourne, who maybe would have gotten them, you know, mid round draft pick back, but. Now, Devontae Parker is hurt, and I do think that they haven't done any favors with Kendrick Bourne. I think he's a good player. I think he can help the team in the second half of the season. So the Patriots were exactly in the position where you are in the middle ground, and investing in this team was not worth it, and selling on this team was not worth it. So they did neither, and they just stayed pat. That's exactly what teams like this do in every single league across sports.
0: I think the biggest game of the year, believe it or not, is going to be – December the 12th, Monday Night Football at Arizona. Because if the Patriots do what we think they can do, and that's win those games to get on a little bit of a roll, they've got to win the first game of that back-to-back West Coast road trip. Because if you win the first one, that gives you, I think, a chance to go in and win the second one. You lose the first one, you can't sweep. I think they're going to have to sweep it to get into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, one of the biggest ones that they had last year was at the Chargers on that west coast game and and that really i think fueled that seven game win streak that really got them feeling good about themselves the chargers were playing really well at that point as well and they went into la and beat the chargers and kind of rallied at that point on that seven game winning streak so when they go out west and it it sounds like they're going to stay out west for the whole week for the the back-to-back out there with the vegas uh the cardinals and then the vegas game after that (laughs) if they go out there and they can Come kumbaya and come together and get two wins out of that trip. I do think that that's going to give them a lot of momentum. I would agree with you. 855-PATS-500. Let's get to the phones.
0: Here's Todd in North Carolina. Todd, how are you today? Hey, guys. It's
2: good that I got both of you there. So Awesome. Do you remember in the olden days when we used to say that, you know, Bill's playing chess, everybody else is playing checkers, and we, we looked at that both from, uh, you know, his GM role and his also his coaching, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: still
3: the case. Wow, is it still the case,
0: John? Uh, honestly, that's
1: such a, that's a, such a deep question. Tom. Yeah, honestly, I, I think
0: it's really hard for me to answer that. But I will tell you mm-hmm. that my initial uh, impression or initial inclination is no. It's not still yeah, the case. Mine, I think the game has too. changed. I think the mm-hmm. Patriots have changed. Uh, I think the sport has even changed a little bit question is yeah. how much has bill and how much will bill change and that's that's yeah. still up in the air that's
2: what i was wondering because i take a look and i think we were all in agreement that you know we should not have traded away shaq mason we kept win they know they Troy brown is old he he likes to go for the old guys to get his confidence for some reason and when he does that they're going to let him down eventually like last year there was we were done you could tell that our linebacker core was spent by the end of the year. And that was the biggest, that was what was keeping us in going in game. You know, we beat up a bunch of poor people because our, those old guys could, you know, they were smart. They used their savvy. They did it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I got, you know, I'll push back a little bit on the Shaq Mason trade. I honestly, I, I looking back on it and looking back on the way things went now, Look, I I'm not going to walk it all the way back because I was blue in the face when they drafted Cole <laughs> Strange and used a first round pick on a guard. It drove me absolutely bananas. So I totally well, I, <laughs> I totally am not going to say that that I liked that aspect of it. Um, but I I think two things that went on there. First of all, I think there are very few guards in the league, and this is goes to my point of why I was so angry at them for drafting a guard in the first round, uh, there are very few guards in the league that I would pay $10 million a year to. Which is what they owed Shaq Mason this season. Because I just don't think it's a position of value. I I just don't think that it's a position that is a game-changing position. Okay? So, I don't think that having a good guard is like I said about Cole Strange, is going to make you any closer to beating Buffalo. Okay? The other reason why I had no problem or have no problem with the Shaq Mason trade is Mike Onwenu's best natural position is right guard. So mm-hmm. they needed to open up a spot. They couldn't Mike Onwenu was too good to keep him on the bench. So whether it was getting him to work at left guard, right guard, right tackle, like wherever it was, they had to find a spot for him in yeah. the starting five. Had to play. And right guard was his most his best, most natural spot and he's on a rookie deal, whereas Shaq Mason is on a lucrative veteran deal. So they had an in house replacement for Shaq Mason the bigger gripe that I would have with how they handled the offseason on the offensive line is Teddy K because Ted Karras was a solid starter or a very, very good swing backup. Back and played every spot pretty well in, in, pretty in well. the interior and got three years, $18 million from the Cincinnati Bengals, which really only had like a year and a half guaranteed. So not big money. So if they had kept right. Ted Karras and they had plugged him in at left guard, and then they had drafted a guard in the second or the third round that they liked that they could develop as the long-term answer at you that spot. You might have been better off. You would have been better off. Shaq, not, I, I, I can take it or leave it, but to me the way that they mishandled that situation was getting cheap with Ted Karras.
2: Well, I don't know if, was, if it was smart to bring Brack Brown because he plays only when he really wants to. He's Sprague unless you've got somebody who can coach him. And right now... You don't have an offensive coordinator, but you got some guy who's supposed to be your old lineman guy, calling the plays, trying to run the offense, which is your offense should be your offensive coordinator, who can't spend the time on the line because you need to. I hate to say this, but some of these guys on this line will need to have their hands held. Strange was one of them. Brown is another one of them. He needs to have his hand held. He he doesn't play. Without it, and whoever's going to end up playing on opposite of him right now definitely needs a handheld because Win can't do it. Cannon, it was a. I don't know why they brought Cannon in. I don't even want to. Think he's got about it
0: because he's got familiarity with the system. I mean, let's face it, you know, and he's pretty good. Years pl- old,
2: those knees, those.
0: Yeah, legs. I know, but still a pretty Richard good player. Really he, and he, yeah, understood, understood, but he's he knows the system. He would he would have he was a better fix than somebody else coming in off the street as a street free agent because of his familiarity. Right.
1: I think that Marcus okay. Marcus Cannon is a perfectly fine tackle eligible. Like when you want to go with yeah. that 6-0 right. so uh, yeah. that's okay. a great role for right. him. Because yeah. he's a good – at this stage of his career, if you want him to get on a double team with Mike Onwenu and push the line, he can still do that, yep. right? The yep. problem where he gets into, pro, into issues is when he's got to move his feet. Yep and that's where they've yeah. had issues with him in pass protection is getting him to move side to side and getting out to his landmark and then re- redirecting back inside and things like that. That's where he's been iffy. I have a tough time like getting on Trent because he's probably been their best offensive lineman all year long. Now maybe it hasn't been 100% consistent all the time. No, it hasn't. But he's been down in and down out week in and week out their most consistent guy besides maybe Andrew. So I have, you know, He's also getting a lot of tough assignments, I would say too. I think PFF uh, charts it like one-on-one, true one-on-one pass rush reps. Like who's the guys that get the least amount of help in the league, and and Trent Brown is the right up there. He's right there as one of the guys that gets the least amount of help of anybody. So I agree that there are some moments where maybe his focus or his effort wanes. But it's tough to get on a guy when right tackle has been such a disaster. Uh, You know, you have to manage the rookie guard. Like there's so many other issues that. I think Trent is way down on the list.
2: Yeah, I just I don't know. Again, to get back to my original comment. It just seems weird. That just the last 5 years have been kind of just different and I don't know why it feels that way. Like right now we don't I have a we don't have a named <laughs> offensive coordinator. We don't have a named defensive coordinator. That's not why. Like, it's just it really strange.
1: So there's a the way. there there's an uh, one of those fat heads um you know, the fat heads that you hang up on yeah, the, the wall. Uh, there's one guy. right behind uh, John Rook's head right now. <laughs> and it, it's a former Patriot. I thought you
0: were saying I was a fat head. Come on.
1: It, it was former Patriot <laughs> well, just, yeah. former Patriot uh, player, Todd, um, that doesn't play for the team anymore. That might be a reason why it's been a little bit different around here over the last couple of years. Any guesses of who that, that player might be?
2: Don't even have to guess. It's Brady because I've been in an argument. I've said the last part of the dynasty was Brady. It's not, not about that. Bill, the first it's not of, about yeah, that. Well,
1: kinda.
2: I think it might be. I think that's why we ended no. up where we're at. But,
1: as as Bill know. as Bill will always say, Todd, uh, players win games, right? They still do. Players win games. So why has it been different? It's obvious why it's been different. I I, I don't think we need to debate that.
0: Todd, thanks for the phone call. As Love always, you Todd. my friend. Thanks, brain. Todd. You betcha. All right, let's 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 stop that portion of the discussion here, because we do want to get into the Colts, and clearly uh, the Colts also come in kind of in the same situation really overall as the Patriots are because they're not out of things, but they're not sure what they really have because they've had a kind of, maybe a couple of tumultuous weeks here. Uh, Stephen Holder covers the Colts for ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. He joins us here inside the playbook. Stephen, it's John and Evan here in Foxborough. How's it going?
4: I'm doing great. Um, I guess we can relate uh, on certain things, yep.
0: Yeah, kinda right. It's been a little bit tumultuous. So you have had uh, let's see you you've ditched a a long time starting quarterback uh, for you know basically a you know a rook and then you, you've uh, and you've you've fired an offensive coordinator all in the span of about what eight to ten days or so. So uh, what's going to happen next?
4: Well, I, I don't know, but I, I'm I think I better get out of the building because uh this is not a place you wanna be apparently. It does kinda of have the feel of like this Owen eight football team or something, you know? And they're three, four, and one. But but I think that's how far short of expectations they have fallen, right? That that these it has precipitated these changes. And and it's also an indicator of of just how poorly they've performed, even though they have won in spite of that performance at
0: times. So they've won in spite of the performance, and yet we're making these changes. Are these changes, uh, are they are they coming from the head coach or are they coming from above him?
4: Yeah, always hard to know, right? I think that there has certainly been a lot of discussion uh, from ownership. I, I know that the quarterback de- decision in particular, uh, definitely ownership was certainly involved. Now, whether you – want to believe that the owner mandated a change or recommended a change or you know whatever mm-hmm. adjective or, or description you'd like to use yeah. uh, that's that's up to the the eye of the beholder but but it, it it was definitely something that came as a surprise to a lot of people in the building uh, because they didn't think the coaching staff was heading in that direction mm-hmm. but but I think it tells you this when they're in a desperate situation you go to these desperate measures I think it speaks more to just how how few cards they feel they had to play that they're benching Matt Ryan, a 15 year veteran, for as you said, uh, a quarterback in Sam Ellinger, who had never started a football game in the NFL.
0: Right. So, all right. So let, let's kind of you know piecemeal this a little bit. Um, who's going to call the plays this week for the Colts?
4: It'll be Frank Reich. He's he's been the play caller all along. Right. So that won't change. I do think where it where it has uh, the potential to have some impact or the definite impact is in the game planning process mm-hmm. uh frank Reich being the head coach he can't be as intimately involved obviously uh, because he has other duties so the offensive coordinator led that effort to put together the game plan and you know, what plays are going to be on on the call sheet this week or you know and putting together the emphasis some practice of all of these kinds of things and delegating some things to the the position coaches as well. Right. So all of that now has to get divvied up among the other remaining assistant coaches. And it also will require uh, more input personally from Frank Reich. So it's a definite adjustment. There's no question.
0: Right. So I was just going to say, who do you think does this put the most emphasis on, on the, especially on the defensive side of the ball, if Reich is going to take over the majority of these offensive duties?
4: Yeah, I, I think for, for one, it, puts it, it honestly puts it on Frank Reich. I mean, it, this you're an offensive head coach. Your offense has been consistently this season one of the absolute worst in the NFL. And, and let me be clear, like for the Colts, even though they've had this massive turnover at quarterback, they have consistently been, in terms of efficiency, they have been one of the best offensive teams in the NFL each of his previous four seasons. Now, this year, here they are, they can't even block anybody, they can't run, they can't throw it, they, they really can't do anything with any consistency. And that falls on the head coach, the guy who's pressing the buttons and the guy who, whose scheme uh, they are running. So it, I think really he's the guy right now under the most pressure. And this reflects most specifically on Frank Reich, the defense you did mention. Uh, they actually are a very viable defense. This defense, I think with a, you know, with a, uh, an above average offense, this would be a very, very dangerous team. Cause I think the defense can hold people. They're, They're allowing, I believe, 19 points a game, and and it's been – Quite a bit less than that at times, so they're doing the job
0: well. Let's talk about the defense then for a moment. Again, uh, Stephen Holder, who covers the Colts for ESPN.com, joining us here in the playbook. Uh, you you got a you, you got an old friend back there in in yep. Stephon Gilmore, uh, and so uh, Gilly Locke. Uh, you read a story I think uh, on ESPN earlier today about how uh, I guess Sam Elliger and 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 Steph are going to talk about how the Patriots do things defensively, and of course, I think most everybody now that has followed the NFL for any amount of time, understands that Bill Belichick usually has young quarterbacks for lunch. And and even though he's not a true rookie, you're right, he hadn't started a game until last week, which he happened to win. So what do you think that conversation between Sam and, and Steffer is really going to be about?
4: Yeah, I mean, he's trying to give him a crash course in, in Belichick defense over the course of a few days. Well, good luck, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not going to be enough. Uh, he's going to have to go out there and he's going to have to figure this out on the fly. I, I do think that Sam Ellinger. Look, where he lacks in tools. Look, he's six one. He's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have the biggest arm. Uh, he's a six round pick, right? So he's not a perfect. He's not a perfect prospect, right? Uh, even though you know we can talk all day about six round picks who worked out. I guess right, but um, yeah, kind but of. Anyhow,
0: <laughs> exactly. Got a, there's but a any fat guy. head of him behind me, as as uh, Evan pointed out a little while ago. So yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah, a guy you might have heard of before. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, look, he has his work cut out for him, but what one thing that I cannot deprive Sam Ellinger of is an incredible work ethic. He is incredibly cerebral. The guy is also just a natural born leader. You know, yeah. some guys just have it and some guys are are not born that way. He he was the four year starter at Texas. Uh, they haven't had a ton of success, but certainly he's been in the spotlight under the bright lights. A lot of attention, a lot of pressure. So he's pretty unflappable in terms of pressure. Now, will he make the right reads at the right time? That is a whole other question.
1: Steven, I wanted to stay with the quarterbacks here for a second because I find the Colts really fascinating the way they've approached the quarterback position the last couple of years with Rivers to Wentz to Ryan. And at some point, like it feels like they have a really good roster, and at some point they have to take a swing on the first-round quarterback. Where do you see them going with the quarterback position beyond this season? And, and can Ellinger actually actually play himself into being the starter next year?
4: Well, I'll take Ellinger first. I, I think we, we don't know the answer yet. I, I, he's getting the opportunity. They have stated publicly that they are going to go with Ellinger for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, look, that sounds good. We'll see how it goes, right? Uh, he's one game in. He played relatively solid, uh, 17 of 23. Uh, didn't push the ball down the field a ton, but I think made the right decisions and generally uh, acquitted himself well. So we'll see. He's going to get every opportunity. Are the odds against him? Yeah, of course. But maybe he can rise above that. As for if that doesn't work, I, I think the next the next decision or the next move, it has to be in the draft. Uh, they have kicked the can down the road four years in a row, and it has finally, I think the chickens have come home to roost, uh, they are in no better shape now than they were the day Andrew Luck retired as it relates to their quarterback position. I mean, that's just a stunning reality to have to accept, but that's where they are. And I, I think right now, the you know when you look back at how they got here, you can be critical of it, and I have been, but I also think it, it speaks to just how difficult it is. They've been a very uh, legitimate team that's, that's been – you know, that's flirted with some success and when you do that, you're not gonna have the top five draft pick, right? So so they have almost been their own worst enemy <laughs> by winning too many games and not being in range to go up and get these quarterbacks, as you guys know, uh, to get the the top quarterback in these classes, you've got to be in the top three, four or five picks. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's really the question now. You know, can they find their way up there and is the quarterback they want there.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky middle ground that the Patriots kind of find themselves in right now, too, or Belichick coaches them to 9-10 wins on his own, and then they're picking 20th in the draft, and then where are you? Uh, it's Just sticking with the, the quarterback for a second, uh, the Patriots have had a lot of trouble this year with designed quarterback runs. You know, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields uh, ran all over them in and, and those two losses. I know Ellinger is not quite as straight-line fast as those two guys are, but what do you see from him as a runner that can maybe give the Patriots some problems?
4: Oh, I think you'll see it. He is definitely, uh, I think, a proficient runner. He's a he's a decent enough athlete that he can, you know, they can run our and actually have the threat of him keeping it. And, and one of the surprising things this year has been the struggle of the Colts running game. I, I think it's one of the more fundamental issues they're having, and it goes back to their offensive line struggling. But the point that I'm bringing up is, you know, when you, from a, from a scheme standpoint and from a defensive responsibility standpoint, when the quarterback is a threat to run, the offense has a numbers advantage. And so the Colts, I think, need to lean into that, and maybe that can help their running game, especially now with with Naheem Hines having been traded to Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure that move got some attention in New England. And then you also have Jonathan Taylor with a bad ankle. He has not practiced this week, so that is a question.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to ask you, Taylor's status for this week is still the same? Is there a shot that he plays? What are your thoughts there?
4: I think it's very much in question right now. We'll see. Look, he's a a tough guy, but I, I I, I would also add, I should say, that he, this year, has not been healthy, really, at all. He hasn't been healthy all year. And we saw him come to terms with that a couple of weeks ago where they made a collective decision that he could have gone, but they sat him. And, and he was very much in favor of that decision. That's not a decision that I ever thought I'd see Jonathan Taylor make, but it speaks to the fact that he's been battling injuries all year and he's trying to get right. Uh, he's got an ankle problem now. He re-aggravated it on Sunday against Washington. And uh, my fear is that this thing just doesn't really heal this season. This is the second time he's dealt with it. So right. uh, it's, a, it's a, not a great situation for Jonathan Taylor health-wise right now, although – I, you know he's a guy who can tough it out, so I, I can never count him out.
0: One more then about the defense here, uh, Stephen. Um, you know we, we mentioned Steph Gilmore briefly, but to me, I think one of the real strengths of this uh, this Colts team might be their athleticism at defensive end. Uh, I know that uh, Ngakwe is extraordinarily active and very athletic and really gets after it. But uh, a favor of mine is because he's a somewhat local kid to, to you know New England is Quiddy Pay, who you know went to uh, Warwick, Rhode Island's Bishop Hendrick in high school. And Pei obviously had a very good uh, career at Michigan as well, but you know, provided he's able to stay healthy, I think that's a pretty good base for the Colts to start from and to grow with for the next few years.
4: I agree. I think Quiddy Pay has been, uh, even despite the presence of Ngakwe, he has been their best edge rusher this season. I, I really believe that. He's missed a couple of games with an ankle issue. He told me yesterday that he's feeling much better. He practiced yesterday. Uh, he's getting there. I think he's got a great chance to play. And what I would add to to that is also their their defensive interior on the defensive line, the mm-hmm. Forrest Buckner and no, uh, defensive tackle and yeah. nose tackle Grover Stewart. That is as good a duo as you will find on the interior. Uh, the kinds of players Belichick would love, right? He loves those those big athletic guys on the inside. Well, they have two of them, and I'm telling you, I, they're a joy to watch. I really they don't get enough credit because it's the teams. Going through a lot, but uh, they are both having phenomenal seasons, and I would keep an eye on those two guys in the middle if I'm a New England fan.
0: So, you think maybe this game on Sunday gets decided through the air rather than on the ground?
4: Well, I'll say this: if you got two teams that you know that try to make it tough on on you running the ball, right? So mm-hmm. that that could suggest that. And I think you know, look, the, the quarterbacks. If you're these defenses, you you want these quarterbacks to have to beat you. Yeah. That's what you want. Yeah, And so I would be very surprised if that's not the case, frankly. I, I know Bill Belichick wants to really test this quarterback. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less. I, I think last week the Colts really tried to protect Sam Ellinger. He only threw it 23 times. And I think that's that's something that I'm sure the Patriots have picked up on. They, they'll want to see him have to really put it out there and, and test him.
0: Sure. Steven, good stuff. Thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Steven.
4: Hey, you got it. I'll see you on Sunday.
0: You got it. See you here. Safe travels. Uh, Stephen Holder covers the uh, Colts, the Indianapolis Colts, for ESPN, ESPN.com. Used to write for The Athletic. We were talking before he came on the show. It's kind of weird to see someone do The Athletic to ESPN switch because everybody's been bailing Mickey Mouse and going to work for places <laughs> like The Athletic, but it's a little, a little bit opposite there. If you want to follow him on Twitter, his uh, handle is at Holder, H-O-L-D-E-R, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. There you go. That's where you find him.
1: He's great. Yeah. And his point about DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart, I've been banging that drum all week because those two guys are legit. I mean, they're as good as it gets. And, uh, yeah, they, they got a great run defense as a result. So it's it's not an easy game. The Patriots, on, on paper, the Colts have pieces. They haven't put them together this year, but they, they have pieces, the same pieces that beat the Patriots last year in Indy. So it's going to be a, t- a tougher game, I think, than people realize.
0: Back to our conversation coming up after a quick timeout. Right back to the phones as well here in the Playbook.
5: Verizon, the network America relies on and the official 5G network of the New England Patriots.
2: In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes like Serena Williams, Brooks Kepka, and Alex Morgan. They don't spend all their days grinding away, they take time to enjoy themselves, like getting together with friends over a Michelob Ultra, because they know that happiness is the key to winning, and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. Michelob Ultra. 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Enjoy responsibly. A.B. Michelob Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri.
5: There's no season better than football season. And there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the official daily fantasy sports partner of the New England Patriots. To add to the thrill, DraftKings has millions of dollars in prizes up for grabs every week. So head to the app now and check it out. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy Football is easy to play just pick nine players stay under the salary cap and pile up points for yards touchdowns receptions and so much more there's no better way to put your football knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at one million dollars in total prizes download the DraftKings app now and use promo code PATS to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes every week. That's promo code PATS to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes every week. Only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See
0: DraftKings.com for details. Want to get into the game? Get coached up at Dean College. Equipped with exclusive academic partnerships featuring the Patriots, Revolution, Providence Bruins, Summer Baseball, and more, our classrooms are set up for success by learning directly from the pros. Dean College has programs in communications, sports management, business, and marketing with unprecedented hands-on experiences. Our students take what they learn in the classroom and put it right to work in the marketplace. At Dean College, our students don't just play games we run them visit us at dean.edu
2: okay you lovely lot
0: time now for some
5: of classy claire's
6: sneaky cheeky day
0: cheeky in american english would be wise ass
6: hi there you lovely lot so another classy claire sneaky cheeky take about the
5: patriots never mind elm street never mind Freddy krueger the thing of quarterback nightmares is mr red sleeves matthew judon
0: yeah baby that's true I think it's pretty much true Uh, thank you Claire for the the, uh, little uh, suggestion there Um, she just also sent an email uh, Matt she says just a quick note to say I know Evan is uber smart uber Smart, okay? That's all I like, the use of that word. But I want to give him an extra good job badge today as I am so extra O's, so with him on the Karras comments they shouldn't have let him go. I kind of feel the same way. i got to be honest with you. Kind of, I was also disappointed, as Todd mentioned earlier. I was disappointed that, you know, clearly they decided they were going to move on from Shaq Mason. But considering the contract, not totally surprised. The guy that they should have re-upped was Ted Karras. And Evan brought that up. Claire's in, you know, cahoots with that one, too, and uh, kind of agree all the way around on that one. Hey, a couple of things as well here before we get right back to the phones. A couple of things here that I don't know if you're aware of, but uh, with the win last week against the Jets, the Patriots now are tied with Green Bay for the third most wins in NFL history with 570 total wins. Did you know that? If the Patriots win and Green Bay loses this week, then the Patriots will hold sole possession of third, for the most wins by a franchise since 1960. So, actually, I think that's kind of significant. It kind of tells you that, you know, as, as sad sack as this franchise was, you know, when it joined the NFL in 1970, uh, you know, it made the cup playoffs a couple of times in the old AFL in the 60s. But as sad sack as it was in the 1970s, the amount of winning that they've done in the last 20 plus years is extraordinary. And so, it just caught me thinking. I said, you know what? For somebody who is probably like 30, 30-something, okay? The Patriots basically represent the Steelers or the Cowboys of my era. Right? Matt, you're 30-something. 33. I I'm exactly what you're talking about. Oh, Okay, so growing up as a kid, the team that, you know, was like, oh, this is the team that i got to follow because they're beating the crap out of everybody was probably the Patriots. It was the Patriots. It's unbelievable. Me, I had, you know, I was lucky enough. I grew up with the Cowboys in my backyard. So to me, I mean, oh, you know, the Steelers were it. The Steelers were everything. And you know, you lose to the Steelers, oh my god, it's devastating. To a lesser extent maybe, I would also include the 49ers in there of that era under Bill Walsh and when Joe Montana was, you know, quarterbacking the 49ers, but it was the Steelers, without a doubt. And then of course, I would say to someone who might be a little older than myself, maybe you're in your, you know, mid to late 60s or or, or 70s even, it's got to be the Packers, right? The Packers were the dominant team of that era because in the 1960s, it was was all Pack, 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 Bart Starr, Pack, Pack, Vince Lombardi, Pack, Pack, Pack. You know, that's all it was because they dominated everything in the 1960s. So you got, you know, the Packers, then probably, you know, the Steelers and Cowboys, maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent, the 49ers, and then the dominance of the Patriots of the last 20 years. That's an entirely different generation's, you know, binky, so to speak, and the numbers that I just read there in terms of the number of total wins of the Patriots win and the Packers lose, Patriots get sole position of third all-time in wins, that's extraordinary. It really is kind of extraordinary. Sean in Vancouver. Thanks for hanging in there, Sean. You're in the playbook.
3: Hey, John. First, um, don't take this too bad, but I want to take you to tasks for your pet peeve. Uh, what did I do? That you've been Well, no, it's, it's something that you, you bring up all the time, and I think mostly it's trivial, but... I don't quite agree with your theory about uh, deferring the kickoff uh, because I, I think it works if you're the type of team that scores quickly and perhaps needs that aspect of having the game script go in your favor. Like a team maybe like Detroit or you know even the Bills, right? A, a team that you, you're confident you're going to score right away to start the game. As you look at, at the Patriots' last two games, the Bears, they the Patriots got the ball first, but they went three and out, and then the Bears do the double score, and uh, you're looking at, at after the half, it's 23 um, 14 Bears, and it's it's done for for the Patriots. And well, then, but wait a well,
0: second, hold on, Sean. They didn't lose that game because they you know took the ball first. Okay, they didn't they didn't lose that game the because house. they got the first possession. You know, and and if the other team has you know d- the defer, then obviously you've got to do your job on defense. The game against the Bears was a complete and total abomination. Okay, so right. using using the Bears game as any kind of an example of anything is just you know I, I don't I don't sure. know how okay. you do so that.
3: Let's, let's get off the Bears. Let's go to this last week. Okay. Uh, the Patriots. Yep. Um, I don't know if they deferred, but they, they basically they, they did. started. Yeah, they deferred. The Patriots did their job on defense to start the game, right. And and got them uh, to punt, and and that's what you want, really, if, if in this type of situation, if you're if you're going to defer. Bottom line is they
0: deferred. They deferred, and if it weren't for a, a a a a questionable rubbing the passer car, they deferred, and they would have been down seventeen to three at halftime. Okay, and they still deferred. Yeah,
3: but. But they deferred, and what in reality, what happened, they did the double score, and in the third quarter, they up 13-10 and never looked back.
0: Well, I, so listen, you're, you're 100% right about that. In fact, I remember sitting there watching the game thinking, wow, look at that, that was a double score opportunity. Uh, I, but uh, to me, yeah. that that flies in the face of logic. All right. And, and I'm very much a logical person. And I know, you know, look, uh, far be it for me to argue with Bill Belichick on anything. OK, <laughs> but I would I would love to engage in a debate with him. I would absolutely thrive on it. And even if I get spanked, I would love the challenge of getting into a debate with him on the advantages of deferring over the uh, over the obvious The obvious, logical thing to do when you're on the road and the other team is on a hot streak. That was a team on a four-game win streak. And to me, the one thing – and their strength is defense, okay? Their strength is defense. You want to take it right at them. If you're any kind of an athlete, if you're any kind of someone who competes – For a living, okay. You want to take it right at the strength if you can and challenge them early. See if you can't knock them off their stride. And if you do, you surprise them. You take the crowd out of the game a little bit, and you clearly get momentum early in the game on your side. Now, I understand the all the mathematical, you know, uh, thoughts behind, you know, deferring and getting the ball last, and then hope. And look, it takes a lot for that to still happen. Okay, it does. I and and look, when you can make it work, it's it can work well. I think they've managed it what two, three times this year, and I think overall they are one and two or two and one. I have to go back and check it. You know, when they've managed a double score. Frankly, the fact that they've had double scores in three games out of the eight so far is a minor miracle to me at this because that's one of the most overrated you know statistics that's out there. It's it's almost I, like I, it's it's a it's a it's a hope and a prayer is what it is. I,
3: well I admit that it's it's very it's less significant. It's not it's not going to be a huge thing. However, I think it only works, you know, if you're taking the ball first if you're going to score. If you can't score then you, you,
0: well, you I would agree with that. I, I, that. No, no, yeah. Todd, I'm uh, Sean, I'm with you on that one. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with I'm you. I'm Canadian, yeah. but I don't sound. No, no, I, I get it. Sean, Sean, yeah. Sean, because <laughs> I had Todd on the brain. God, how bad is that? I know. Um, uh, you're 100% right on that. So if you're going to take the ball first, then, yeah, you. what I would like to see him do is, is script out that opening drive. Look, you're studying this team all week long. You've got to know where the weaknesses are, so let's attack them early. And here's the other issue. I'd like to see more up-tempo from the Patriots. It's not really surprising, anybody. People up-tempo all the time, especially you know when you go no-huddle and you're in a, a five-wide offense. But the, the up-tempo of the Patriots was a little bit of a surprise because they've really been more traditional in an offensive sense with kind of grinding it out and running behind a couple of pretty good tailbacks you know, this year and playing to the strength of the offensive line, which is certainly in run blocking and not in pass blocking, as we've seen thus far. So – you know, and, and maybe maybe the reason here is well the Jets are pretty tough up front, so we're not gonna find those lanes and maybe deferring is the better shot to go. All right, you know what? I'll give you that for this game. But the fact is let... is that every time, every game when the Patriots win the toss, they defer. And I am going to die on the hill over this one. OK, it's 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 the absolute sign of insanity to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting if different results. Yeah. And you then you're that's still not. doing it. And it's that's insanity. What I'm asking for is a little change of pace. You know what I'm asking for is, sure. man, I you know what? I like the heat, too. I like the high stinking cheese is, you know, Dennis Eckersley would call it. But every once in a while, you got to throw them a change up. You got to throw them a curveball. Yeah. You, you just have to. Otherwise, the other team is going to know what's coming, and they're going to whip you with it. And, and that's really my biggest thing is that I want to see the Patriots shock the world and take the ball once. And I'm <laughs> sure that they will do that, Sean. I'm sure that they will do that when and they feel like the right they situation. can script an opening drive against a team where yeah. they can see some advantages. And frankly, I think right now – the opportunity is there for the Colts. I don't think they're going no, to be able to run the ball down their throats because I think the Colts are not. very good up front. But I think the opportunity yeah, the might goal. be there to, you know, get the crowd on your side, get Max some confidence going, and, and get this offense going, script out some plays, and let's get in the end zone. I see the Colts
3: very similar as to the Jets. I see them as a team that, uh, you know, is kind of, struggling uh, to score is a, a team that has a good defensive front and you're going to have to do the same things like having those quick plays, those RPOs like uh, Evan suggested is the, the the key to success there on offense and on defense. You want to do the same thing as well. You want to make sure that Ellinger's is going to have uh, some problems when you're, you're forcing him to pass the ball yeah. uh, the way you, you, you force Wilson into mistakes. So last week you were wondering why, I predicted 24-17, um, and the reason I said it was Wilson, and I think it's it's the same thing this, this week. It's it's Ellinger, and that's what the Patriots are going to have to do, and I'm having a similar prediction. I'm, I'm going to go 23-17 for the Patriots
0: this week. <laughs> Sean, you're nothing if not predictable, but I like that out of you. That's okay. Okay. I like that. That works well, for me. Well, let's hope this prediction works. Correct you are. You were close last week, so let's get close this week. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. All right, thanks a lot. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for hanging on for as long as you did. You know, uh, uh, he obviously has some good points. It does work sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time. The problem I, has if, I have is that the Patriots defer all the time. If they did it sometimes, I'd be fine with it. Hey, okay, hey, let's take a shot at it, right? Mood is good. Maybe they saw something on the game field. Maybe they saw something in special teams, or maybe they saw something defensively they can exploit. But all the time? Every game. Look, you know it as well as I do. If they win the coin toss on Sunday, they will defer. They, it will happen. It's like you can set your clock by it. By the way, clocks go back this week. Are you a fan of that? Aren't, aren't so we so re- used to it by now. Yeah, you know? I know, but aren't we kind of ready to be done with that? I mean, that's a World War II era thing, right? Do we really need to save the – well, cod, yeah. If we're going to go up 65% with electricity rates in this country over the next month, maybe we do need to save daylight. I don't know. I'm just asking the question. But I, I kind of feel like we're by that. I'm, I'm kind of ready to just let's just go one clock and let's be done with it. You know? I don't know. Okay. Much ado about nothing. Uh, certainly not much ado about nothing. Karen Garigian, who uh, has covered the Patriots uh, for uh, veteran. Let's just say Karen is a veteran reporter and columnist for the Boston Herald. Karen's kind enough to spend a little time with us again in the playbook today. Hi, Karen. How are you today?
7: Um, Well, John, how are you?
0: Uh, Are you for Daylight Savings, or are you ready to move on from it?
7: Uh, I just want anything that will make it uh, light at 8 o'clock at night <laughs> and light yeah. at 6 o'clock in the morning. Thank
0: you, thank you. And I, and unfortunately, I think the, the axis tilt of the earth is not going to allow us the light at 8 o'clock, but mm-hmm. if we do go back, then we do get light in the morning a little bit earlier, and so I guess that's kind yeah, of that's the sacrifice a, that we're getting here.
7: It's just, it's just odd driving back, uh, Gillette every day, Foxborough, I live in Chelmsford, mm-hmm. and it's Five five thirty, and it's like dark. It, it's like it's nine o'clock at night.
0: Yeah, I do the so. same thing. I have to drive to the South Shore. I, I live in Westport, and it's just kind of like, wow. It's just it's dark, and I'm like, I'm not ready for this yet. I'm not ready for it. No, not ready for it. So all right, mm-hmm. I like to digress. So thank you, Karen, for that. Um, That's fine. So, so so what what was your make of what was your make of the game against the Jets last week? And was this a Patriots win, or was it really more of a Jets loss?
7: Well, I think ultimately it doesn't matter uh, who's at fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> the win, and it, yeah, who the hell cares? Yeah,
7: right, and it doesn't matter.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, yeah, the the uh, the Jets, their quarterback uh, Zach Wilson, self-destructed, but I think the Patriots also played a part in that. Uh, it wasn't just him alone throwing picks; it was the Patriots basically putting him in a position where he seems to throw picks a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, so
7: yeah. Uh, they, got him, they pressured him, they got to him, they made him roll out, and, and, and then he just can't help himself but throw the ball up as opposed to throw it out of bounds. Is that what... No, so I think they, I think, I mean, the Patriots, if you talk to them during the week, you talk to them after the game, that was kind of their game plan defensively.
0: Mhm. That what Stop we...
7: the run and and make make Wilson do what he did.
0: Right. And so I'm kind of curious now is that what we should expect them to do against a guy like Sam Ellinger? Because we know how, you know, Bill Belichick has you know young quarterbacks for lunch most of the times. He's got a pretty good track record facing quarterbacks for the first time, which will be the case here with Ellinger, even though he's not a true rookie. Uh, I'm just you know I, I'm I, I watched Sam extensively in college, obviously my being a Longhorn, so I watched his whole career, and I, I was always very impressed with uh, you know what Stephen Holder, who covers the the Colts, as you know for ESPN.com. He says Sam has just this innate ability to absorb information and decipher it, and 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 lead you know almost by example. Even though you know he might be somewhat physically undermanned, or you know uh, he's only six one and have a heavy arm, but you know he he just gets things done, and that was really his his main attribute as a quarterback at Texas. And so I'm wondering if you're the Patriots defensively, what do you try to take away from him?
7: It's funny, I, I actually refer to him as the Colts version of Bailey Zappi. Yes,
0: so. yes, that's actually, I think that's, a, that's an appropriate comparison, yeah.
7: Um, I, I think, you know, first and foremost, they, they, they have to do what, you know, essentially what they did with the Jets, stop the run, put the ball in Ellinger's hands. Um, the difference, perhaps, with Ellinger over, say, Zach Wilson, who's coming off a knee Injury is that uh, this kid will run. He'll scramble mm-hmm. uh, and they will set up design runs for him. And as we've seen with a couple of much better quarterbacks, uh, mobile quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, you know, they really took advantage of the Patriots defense. So yeah. I think they have to be alert and aware of those design plays where they'll have uh, Ellinger run, and also the fact that if he's put into a corner, he will scramble.
0: So, if he's going to scramble and he gets loose again, and the Patriots have certainly had some, uh, you know, not had any, well, let's put it this way. They've had a couple of quarterbacks burn them. They were able to, you know, at least flush Zach Wilson last week out in the pocket and force him to try to win with his arm, which I think they felt like they couldn't do. In other words, they did what they were supposed to do last week. Um, that's kind of what worries me about this week to be honest, because Ellinger is a guy that's not afraid to zip it up the middle. And he he did that in college, and I expect that we'll probably see him try that again this Sunday.
7: Yeah, well, I would keep him in the pocket <laughs> as opposed to flush him out sure. like they did with Zach Wilson.
8: Yep.
7: And, you know, let's face it, the Patriots just have to do a better job tackling uh, when it comes to these quarterbacks, and uh, I forget which – uh, defensive back I was talking to uh it might or it might have even uh, they basically the point was we got to hit the quarterback like get him down hit him mm-hmm. so uh, i think the patriots will be very keen to it um they've you know they've seen what in the what little film they have from Ellinger in the preseason and the game he played last week uh, Frank Reich dialed up some quarterback runs, and so I think you know they're going to be aware of it. Let's hope.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah. They they definitely seemed like they were on their game plan last week, so that's why you know I asked the question this week. You had a chance, of course, Karen, to uh, uh, if you, nobody if you didn't read the Herald this week, you had a chance to to talk with Steph Gilmore, who uh, you know. Was a, I mean, let's face it, defensive player of the year when he was in New England, and you know didn't leave here really under the the best of terms overall. But you had a chance to kind of speak to him earlier this week. How does he view coming back to to play uh, against the Patriots in New England?
7: I think he's looking forward to it. Um, you know, taking away how things left. Um, you know, he he played his he he says he's played he played his best football here. Um, and he learned from coach Belichick, you know, when he came here, he was a very good cornerback. He feels when he left here, he was a great quarterback. And again, he chalks a lot of that up to what he learned from coach Belichick, um, playing here, playing in important games, uh, taking on the top matchups, uh, and, you know, being in, a, in an environment where football is really serious. Uh, yeah. You know, he brought all these things up when we talked. Actually, it was last night. Uh, he was, uh, he had just been to his son's flag football game. Hmm. Uh, but he, you know, I think, you know, with a little time and perspective, I think he looks back on his four or five years here very fondly.
0: All right. So I'm sure he's had that conversation you know, with uh you know, with his young, you know, uh, second year quarterback in, in Ellinger, uh about, oh, you know, yes. what, what Bill, you know, does generally to, you know, young quarterbacks and chews them up and spits them out. What what do you think Stefan said without you know, I'm sure he didn't give away any trade secrets either, but what do you think that conversation was like? Well,
7: I think he, you know, based on his experience, basically told Ellinger uh Is it Ellinger or Ellinger?
0: I believe it's a hard G. Ellinger.
7: Ellinger. Like me, I'm a hard G.
0: (laughs) There you go. Um, (laughs) See?
7: I think he told him to expect just kind of what we mapped out, that they're going to stop the run game and put the ball in his hand. Um, What Stefan said to me, because obviously I tried to pry out of him what that conversation was like, um, he said, well, it's not what you think because – uh, he tried to pass it off as saying, well, you know, the, the Patriots go week to week with their game plans. It's yeah. not the same one, Right. but the, I think, I think Gilmore will know which game plan they'll have uh, for Ellinger.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a given, and so... I, to me I think that insight can be invaluable and and everything that I know about Sam Ellinger and what we were you know talking with uh, Stephen Holder about earlier is that you know he's a pretty solid student of the game I mean he's he's got some smarts to him he's got a little you know uh, Mac Jones type of perceptiveness in him and to me I think having you know an all-pro caliber defensive back tell you what's coming I think I think this is an opportunity. I, I, you know, I, Look, I, I know a lot of people seem to think that this is a mail-in win for the Patriots, but I don't think anything with this Patriots team is mail-in at all well, this year.
7: All I'll, all I'll say is remember the Monday night in Chicago, the Chicago Bears, yeah. a, a similar type matchup. Yeah. I mean, the Bears came in with one of the worst-rated offenses in the league. Uh, fields wasn't exactly running as much as he did that night Mm -hmm. but i almost think that they took them a little bit lightly and for granted and the colts come in similarly with one of the worst ranked offenses in the league and you know the, the patriots need to you know be on their p's and q's and not take this team lightly
0: Final one then for you. I have you sort of a general question here, but it's really pretty simple. Uh, Are are the Patriots still in the hunt, or is hunting season over for the postseason? In other words,
7: well, if they had lost last week, I would have said it was over. Yeah, but I think I think that you know there's a chance. I mean, they have to take care of business, and by that I mean they have to beat the Colts. They have to beat the Jets again, and I think obviously. The last part of the schedule is, you know, the toughest by far. But I think some of those teams that we sort of chalked up as automatic losses, you know, whether it's Arizona, Vegas, even the Bengals, aren't haven't quite played up to what they're supposed to be. Now, just the Patriots luck, they'll get back into a groove and rhythm by the time they play them. Mm-hmm. But... You know, the the it's not quite as daunting, I don't think, it, again, just given how things have transpired with several of those teams. But you know what? They still got to play Buffalo twice. Yeah. They still have to play Miami. You know, it's not going to be easy. But I think if the Patriots get on a roll like they did last year, get into some rhythm offensively, you know, I think they have
0: a shot. Well, that's why you know we were Evan Lazar and I were talking about it earlier. I said, you know, I think that that two game road trip that they have west with the Cardinals and the and the uh, uh, the Raiders is uh, it's the pivot point of the season. You know, if they could come in and Without they could, question. yeah, w- with win those two games, then I, they're very much in the thick of it and a very good opportunity to win ten games and get to the postseason. But if they even split. And especially if they lose them both, uh, no, it's it's, it's not going to be much of a chance at all. They would have to come up with some unbelievable opportunities against teams that, quite frankly, are way better than they are at this stage of the game. So we're That's still great. a little bit of a ways away from that, though, however.
7: Yeah, I agree. But you know what? You never know what can happen. You know, injuries happen. Um, but right. I'm just saying how things have played out over the first half. I mean, the Bengals are having trouble scoring. Sure. And who knows if Jamar Chase will be back in that game? And that game is here. Um, so you know, I had automatically given that game to the Bengals. Right. It's not so automatic anymore. Right. True. Both and both the Raiders and the, the Cardinals are struggling. Uh, Two win teams, three right. win teams. So um, uh, there's some there's some wiggle room in there. Let's say.
0: Yep. Yep, there's definitely wiggle room, but you're going to have to take advantage of that opportunity, and it's got to start this week. Because I think uh, absolutely you, you, yep. lo- you lose to the Colts at home, then, uh, then you, you might as well be looking at draft picks in April.
7: Kiss it goodbye. Yeah,
0: I'm kind of there with you on that one. Karen, <laughs> thanks as always, my friend. Thank you. All right, take care, John. You got it. Karen Garegan, uh, beat reporter, columnist currently for the Boston Herald covering the New England Patriots. And let me get a couple of emails in here real quick. Um Todd writes this and he says Todd forgot his prediction well me amigos I believe that the Pats are now a get right game for other teams watch out for the Colts running game and their D he says Colts 24 Patriots 13 I hope that I am wrong wow son of a gun wow yeah, well, I'm, I actually am not terribly surprised by that. But, you know, I, I, I'm also not surprised that he took the Colts because, look, I, I, this game actually does bother me a little bit in that regard. Uh, Howard uh, from Stratford, Connecticut, who was our in-studio guest last week. You know, John, the Jet game, in my honest opinion, was a get-right game. It wasn't pretty, wasn't close to perfect, but they did what they needed to do to get a divisional win on the road. Even when TB12 was at his absolute best, Jet week in the Middlelands always gave me angst, especially with Rob Ryan's D there. Now that they've settled down and have put the embarrassment of the Bears game in the rearview mirror, it's time to look forward and fix the areas of concern, the key of which is protection around the starting QB, Mac Jones. They also need to stop the stupid penalties. Look, uh, those are right at the top of my my nitpick list every week. Play of the left tackle or the right tackle and penalties. And a lot of times it's the tackles that are committing those penalties. Uh, He said, let's focus on those two areas, get them fixed, see what happens. For this week's game, even I can see the path to victory, which is to stop the run and put it all on the Colts' QB, Ellinger, to throw and win. Something I don't think he's capable of. They also need to see improvement in the offensive line. don't have to be perfect, but it needs to be improved both in run and pass blocking. And um, Howard says, Patriots 27, Colts 13. You know, I've been sticking with this low number for most of the time. What was the latest spread, Matt? What did the guys talk about on PU? It was five. All right. So to me, that's almost. I mean, it's you know three point swing for home field, right? So I mean, you're talking about then maybe the Patriots on a neutral field will be a two point favorite. That's a swing game. That's a pick 'em almost. They opened at five and a half, and it's at five now. All right. So there's some money then coming in on the Colts right now. Um and and, and I, sure, I can understand why it might hinge a little bit on whether or not Jonathan Taylor is able to go. Even though Stephen told us, uh, Holder told us earlier that you know he it would still be doubtful this stage again. He hadn't practiced yet this week. We'll see what the practice report says later today. Uh, I'm I'm look even at five. I think I'm still leaning toward taking the Colts and the points in this one. Uh, I'm uh, and I've kind of been playing this number a lot, but I'm going to go with it again. I'm going to go with nineteen sixteen. I don't know why. It just seems like the Patriots in 19. They haven't, you know, I just, I mean, look, a, let, let's do this. How about this? Nick Folk, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week for a second straight week. That's crazy because he kicked five last week and he won the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week last week. It's the eighth time in his career that he's won this award. All the Well, uh, listen, hang on. I'm getting to that point. It's the fourth time he's won it as, as a Patriot. All right, so I had to go back and do a little digging on this one, and he's getting up there, you know, in in Adam Bennetary and Steven Guskowski terms. By the way, I found out this week Stephen is returning to Gillette this week as the color analyst for sports USA radio and the national radio broadcast for the Patriots and the Colts. Guskowski is going to be doing the color. How about that? So he's actually going to make his return to Gillette. Even though he's not an active player any longer, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Just you know, you know how, how I like to you know completely go off tangent, and thought I'd throw that in there. Um, but Folk to me, because of his consistency over the long haul, I think is going to deserve some merit. Now, the one thing that's going to keep you know Nick Folk out of it uh, potentially is the fact that he doesn't have a big leg. And when you're a kicker, sometimes you just got to wow him. you know. But Listen, if the Patriots can somehow win again, and I don't mean Super Bowl win, but get you know back up to the pedestal that everybody around here seems to be used to, and before Folk leaves and Folk can win another couple you know special teams for the week, maybe a, a Pro Bowl honor or two, I think you got to think about it because you know he's big kick Nick. You know he had that incredible streak of what sixty four in a row under fifty yards before he finally had that streak snapped a couple of weeks ago. He's going to start a new streak. I, you know, I think the P- P- Patriots are very lucky to have a guy like Big Kick Nick.
7: A real woman
8: could stop you from drinking. It has to be a real big woman.
0: It's time to go around the NFL with football guru Russell Baxter.
5: Now on, your name is
0: Flounder. On Patriots Playbook. Flounder. One thing Big Kick Nick has done is, is flounder kicking the football for the most part. What do you think, Russell? And in, in all honesty, is Nick Falk worthy of you know uh, historical mention in that regard? Well, historical mention and Hall of Fame are probably two
6: totally different things. Okay, As you know yep. it is a. It's already very difficult to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame,
0: especially for a kicker.
6: Being a kicker, and I, I'm. This is not a stump you, question, but there were only two mm-hmm. pure play stickers in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, Jan Stenerud
0: and Morton Anderson. Yeah, Morton Anderson, right. Okay,
6: so I w- I'm going to go out on a limb without even knowing anything and say, gee, maybe Adam
0: Vinatieri? I don't know how you can keep Adam out of it.
6: No, you can't keep Adam. Out- He's the all-time leading scorer in the regular season and the postseason. He's the all-time leading field goal kicker as well. Um, I think maybe once or twice or 40 times he had a clutch game-winning field goal.
0: Uh, I think it's closer to 40. Yeah,
6: yeah. I know. It, it is. Exactly. So, And when I think about guys who are playing right now, and listen, Robbie gould has got a lot of field goals. Mason Crosby has a lot of field goals. Those guys are climbing up the all-time scoring ranks. But the guy you think of right now as far as a Hall of Fame candidate is probably Justin Tinker.
0: And and, and but he's got a lot of time still to play. He's still relatively oh, young absolutely. in his
6: career. Absolutely. And his percentage, um, you know, he, he he play and listen, again, like I said, he's got an awfully long time to play, as a matter of fact. I mean, he's really kind of in terms of kicker, kind of skimming, you know, scratching the surface. And so on. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I never say never with any of these guys. You never know what the voters are going to do. You never know what the voting rules are going to change. Could they expand things and so on? Um, you know, but but you think about the great kickers. It's just not. I mean, John, we can't we can't get a special teams guy in the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
0: Well, Matthew okay. Matthew Slater's got to break that one.
6: Well, well, uh, and and Steve Tasker still hasn't. Well, and um, and Je- and Devin Hester, I was stunned he wasn't the first ballot Hall of Fame because I mean how do you keep Forrest Dump out of Canton?
0: Yeah, I listen. I, I'm with you on that one, but I just I think the I think the game has changed. I think more importantly, I think the voters' minds have changed in years, and, and I don't think yes, that's fair. Are. That's not fair to a guy like Steve Casper, without a doubt. But I just, right. you know, I mean, and I'm not just being a homer for for Matthew Slater. I mean, you know, his numbers clearly speak for themselves, especially making Pro Bowls. So, you yes, know. There's and, no
6: question about it. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I would like to see them be, listen, they have opened up their minds. They're, you know, they've now started to expand the senior committee. Um, you know, at least for these next three years, we're going to see, you know, probably see. There's three uh, finalists, but hopefully all three finalists get in. Each year, there's such a backlog of guys who who should be in. But, um, you know, it, it, the special teams aspect, and here, by the way, we're here talking about this um, on, you know, the sad news of hearing the only pure punter in the Pro Football Hall of Fame has passed away, Ray Guy. Oh, wow. Um,
8: yeah. It,
6: yeah. So, I mean, I, I want to say it took the 2014, I think, was his year. Yeah that he went in don't quote me on that and so on but think about it. you've got you know sammy ball was a great punter but he played another position i mean Lou the toe grows up did everything including kicking paul horning kicked along with being a running back and so on but the pure place kicker and the pure punter um it, 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 in 102 plus years of professional football you can't tell me there's not more than that that should be in hand.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's just I think there has to be, and that's something hopefully that you know the committee can resurrect at some point. But um, uh, nevertheless, it was just kind of an interesting conversation. And, and oh uh, yeah, you know. And, and
6: listen, if, if, if you're not going to acknowledge special teams and approve Football Hall of Fame on a regular basis, then why don't you take them out of the game? Because you, you can't have
0: football without the foot. <laughs> That's very true. Without the foot, it's just ball. It's just ball. That's all it is. But, but you know, for some people, especially in the South, I think it's probably good enough. You know, the old ball coach, that kind of thing, right? So The old ball coach. Yeah, I know, right? All right, so um, what were your impressions of the Patriots last week and, and the Jets in particular, how it just seems like the mastery – of uh, the Patriots over Jets personnel continues to coexist. I actually expected Robert Sala to, to, to kind of finally put one over, you know, especially because the Patriots, he thought, I think last year ran up the score on them. Uh, but it just seems like, you know, for whatever reason, Jets quarterbacks are having a really hard time trying to figure out whatever New England does on defense.
6: Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to wax poetically because I, I did a piece going into the game. And the piece actually, in some ways, got even better afterwards in terms of the numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, think about this, John. 13 straight wins by the Patriots over the Jets. The first was a 22 17 win in 2016. The last is last week, a 22 17. Right. Both of those games at life Stadium. Okay. Right. In the 13 wins. The Patriots have out to one
0: hundred and fifty. All right, you're going to have to say that again because your phone broke up. What was the last thing you just said?
6: To one hundred and fifty. Okay. Okay, that's the combined score of the last thirteen Jets Patriots games. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. But
6: here's the number that alludes to what you were talking about. It's not all on the quarterbacks, but there's a lot of interceptions in there. Right. Okay. In these thirteen games. The Patriots have scored the Patriots have forced thirty three turnovers. Mm-hmm. The Jets have forced six. Wow. Thirty-three to six? Thirty-three to six in yeah. the thirteen games. That's cr- that as I'm going through it and I won't you know me, I'm old school. I go in game by game, and mm-hmm. blah blah And I'm just doing the turnover things for the Patriots. Right. Um Zero. 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 <laughs> I mean I felt like Mr. Blutowski. Okay. Yeah. You
8: know?
6: Great point average, zero point zero. Right. So right. but I mean, yes, yeah, thirty three to six, I just thought that was an incredible number. And again, um, I wanna say Zach Wilson in well he threw four interceptions last year in the game at Bed Life, I believe.
0: Yes. So
6: there's seven right there.
0: Yes. Correct. Yeah. All right, all right, let's take a little let's take a quick little trip around week nine. Uh, you know we're at the halfway point, and you know it's traditional, of course, that you know by usually the halfway point of the season, uh, you kind of know what you got in terms of your team out there. Do we know what we have in terms of real contenders, with everybody so log jam at that you know five and three, four and four, even three, four and one scenario? Well,
6: I mean, I think. Philadelphia and Buffalo and Kansas city in some ways have, have separated themselves. Okay. Yep. Um, and Buffalo beat Kansas city. Philadelphia hasn't long, um, you know, right on the uh, outer cusp of that, I think is, is Minnesota uh, because they're winning games last year. They lost last year. Okay. They're also three, and know, in the division, of course, they're the only team in the division with a winning record.
8: Mm-hmm.
6: Tennessee is intriguing, but um, you know, that, that, 41-7 lost to Buffalo on Monday night. It's, it's, continue. it's funny. They've won five in a row, James, um and they're now 5-2, and two, and they're still negative in the scoring differential column.
0: That's crazy. Because of that last night it lost. Yeah, that's crazy. So,
6: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Tennessee. Now, San Francisco is intriguing, but you really don't know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they own the Rams. They're three and O's in the division, but I saw Kansas City absolutely take them apart, um, and Kansas City is prone to do that. I understand that. So there's, you know, you said traditionally we know. I think we've broken tradition this year. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a tough time. There, I mean, there's really not that many. Listen, the NFC East is uh, unbelievable. If you think about what the, how far they sure. Think about this, John. In both the AFC East and NFC East, there's not a team with a losing record.
0: Which is which is crazy.
6: Right, exactly. Yeah. So so could we I'll just throw it out there now. Could this be the year and now it can happen? It couldn't happen before starting last year. Could an entire division get into the playoffs this year?
0: Well, the Patriots would like to hope so. <laughs> because yeah. certainly, you know, we're well, certainly yeah,
6: but I mean I mean up until last year it wasn't possible. Right. Now that we have, you know, that, well, I'm sorry, not two years ago. Right. The, the field expanded in 2020. Right. Last year we got 17 games. I apologize. But could be, there be a year where we have this, have this happen? Okay? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you look at the way some of these teams, and, and I think what's also interesting is um, we, we've seen so much running this year, um, especially in the last couple of weeks. I mean, how many teams ran for over 200 yards this past week? Uh, there's, there seems to be almost a a, def, a, a, a um, faction of the teams that are playing high scoring loose football, mm-hmm. and then there's some teams who are really going back twenty, thirty years, or maybe even to the Seahawks of 2013, like Dallas, run the ball, control the ball, let their defense do the work. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean Dallas, I mean Dallas. You watch Dallas on defense, okay? Yep. Um, and I'm talking about overall unit. I know Buffalo and San Francisco are, you know, right? The Buffalo leads the league in uh, their fewest points allowed. But I'm trying to think in the last couple of years, John, a faster defense than the Cowboys.
0: They do get to sideline to sideline pretty doggone quickly. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah,
6: they get up field, and they get up field pretty quick. You know, Micah Parsons, sacked. Um, he had a fumble. He didn't have a sack last week, I believe, but he had a fumble return for a touchdown. And, um, you know, last year, you could see the playmaking ability of, you know, Dan Quinn's unit and the special teams. Uh, you know, remember Dallas had the league in scoring last year, but it wasn't your traditionally league, the league in scoring because they got nine touchdowns from their defense and special teams.
8: Mm-hmm.
6: This year, they're getting a little more offense. Obviously, Dak is now back in the lineup and so on. But defensively, I mean they're they're scary. And uh, you know, if they hadn't I'll say this, if they hadn't been a little overwhelmed at the start of the Eagles game a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night, they were the better football team in the second half against Philadelphia.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Tonight's game, uh, other than, you know, wow, it's Philadelphia and they're playing at Houston and that certainly looks to be a mismatch potentially. The thing that impressed me most about the Eagles, though, is that what they've done, you pointed out in one of your your pieces this week, is um, uh, the Eagles are, are forcing turnovers. They're, they're tied up at the top of the league with the Patriots and forcing turnovers, but they've already forced as many turnovers in half the number of games as they did the entire year last year. And that's that's, yeah. a, that's a huge factor in the fact that they're 7-0.
6: Right, and, and one of the things they wanted to come out and do last year for this offseason, and the Eagles didn't make a lot of moves, although they made a big one a couple of days ago, getting Robert Quinn yep. away from the Bears. But they got Hassan Reddick, who spent three years with the Cardinals, more inside linebacker, shipped the outside, became a pass rush bean on them, went to Carolina a year ago, mm-hmm. big year for the Panthers. He's come in and helped the pass rush. You know, Philly's still good on the offensive and defensive lines, although run defense, they've proven to be a little vulnerable. We, we saw Dallas do that and so on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that ability to get takeaways. I mean, if you think of it, they played 18 games last year, including the playoff loss to Tampa Bay, and forced 16 turnovers. And they have 16 turnovers in seven games this year. Right. I mean, forced 16 turnovers. But even more startling is the fact that they have. Only two turnovers on their own. Wow! The Eagles have played seven games, John. They mm-hmm. haven't lost a fumble yet. Right. Okay. It's two Jalen Hurts interceptions. By the way, in case you're wondering, the NFL record for fewest turnovers in a season was actually set three years ago by the New Orleans Saints. They hmm. had eight
0: for the entire the year. Wow. Eight and
6: sixteen games. Wow. Um, by the way, unfortunately for them, they had two. Yeah. In the overtime playoff
0: loss to Minnesota I was about to say they had two at the wrong time, so yeah. but generally speaking, you take care of the ball you 're going to be you know right there in the yeah. game as as you should be all right, so two games involving division teams this week other than the the Patriots and Colts, Dolphins get to go on the road to take on Chicago, so it will be interesting to see. You know, how, you know, Miami's uh, you know, added uh a bonus on defense getting Bradley Chubb this week, you know, fairs against the Chicago team that obliterated the Patriots two weeks ago, even at Gillette. And then the Bills are playing at the Jets. So who's more likely to win, the Jets or the Bears? I would think it would be the
6: Bears. There's a certain up and down nature to the Dolphins, who last week fell behind, I think, twenty one seven at Detroit.
8: Mm-hmm. Okay.
6: So but their passing attack with with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, um, it, 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 you'll see this later in one of my pieces. Um, the food for thought, the shameless plug, full press coverage. Of course. <laughs> um, the Chicago Bears, I should say the Miami Dolphins, um, have more than twice as many receptions as a team and more than twice as many receiving yards as a team as the Bears did. Mm. Wow. And when you see the yeah. numbers, you're going to be like, "You got to be kidding me!" Because they're they're mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I mean, but I
6: kind of I... Miami defense. I know they just got Bradley Chubb. Miami's defense had a lot of problems with the Lions last week. Okay, so i, I to me, Buffalo, who has really kind of owned the AFC East for yep. the last couple of years, mm-hmm. now it's funny that. They're six and zero against the rest of the league this year, and zero and one against the Dolphins.
8: Mm-hmm.
6: Okay, um, but they and the Jets have played them probably tougher than Miami has in recent years. Okay, but there's a difference to the Bills this year, and I think a lot of it has to do with their de- attacking defensive front, which. They got burned a little last week against Green Bay. Green Bay hung in that game because Aaron Jones was able to run up the gun on them. So mm-hmm. sometimes you have to worry about them being a little aggressive. But, you know, I know you know where Ed, Ed Oliver is. The first-round pick from a couple of years ago.
8: Yep. yep. He
6: is really getting off the ball. He's really setting a tone for them. And then having Von Miller, I don't care what they pay for him. Um, you know, Von Miller, very possibly, very possibly, could wind
0: up winning a third Super Bowl ring with a third different team. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, let me see. Where was I in this one? Oh, yeah. Um, Sunday night game. Titans playing at the Chiefs. A couple of division, I guess, leaders in this one. Uh, the Titans, honestly, have they impressed anybody other than maybe their own fans at 5-2 and two to lead the division? The Chiefs, I think we know, are the Chiefs. But the Chiefs are, you know, they seem to be somewhat, you know, Uh, pedestrian even at home, just a two-and-one mark at home. So Titans playing at the Chiefs Sunday night. How big a game is it?
6: Well, if if Tennessee can run the ball on Kansas City, and I'm I'm not saying that's not impossible, although I will say the Chiefs, in in terms of run defense, have been much better this year than in previous years. Now, of course, they're also giving up the third-most passing yards in the league, but that also can – from the fact that they had put up some blowout scores. I mean, they, you know, Tampa Bay came way back. Um, but, uh, you know, the Chiefs scored 41 points on them. They scored 44 on the Cardinals. They scored 44. So that one you got to take a little closer look at um, in terms of things. But Tennessee, I don't care who the opponent was. In this day and age, when you run for over 300 yards in a game, there's a lot to be said to that, and that's exactly what Tennessee did to Houston last week. Without Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis wound up getting the start. Uh, the rookie, he had a lot of rushing yards as well. So Kansas City's defensive front will be severely tested. Derrick Henry looks like Derrick Henry from early last year before he got hurt. Um, and last year, you will recall, when the Chiefs were kind of stumbling out of the gate, they went to Tennessee and really got pushed around by the Titans. Twenty-seven to three, I believe, was the final.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Then that brings us back to uh, the Sunday 1 o'clock game with the Colts at the Patriots. Uh, you know, New England obviously having won the Colts, uh, having a successful debut for Sam Ellinger at quarterback, you know, and a little bit of upheaval for the Colts this week. Not only did they decide to, uh, to to keep Matt Ryan on the shelf for the foreseeable future, but they fire an offensive coordinator and they let Frank Reich apparently take it all over and do it. And, and to me, the way that that kind of stacks up, I, I, I certainly give the Colts more than just a swingers-punchers chance in this this one because um, you know I just I think Frank Reich has had a history of uh, you know pulling some things out of his hat hasn't he especially as a player
6: especially as a player both in college and professional mm-hmm. um, you know his days with Maryland the big comeback win over the Miami Hurricanes uh, umpteenth years ago and so on there's one there's one move that you uh, that you didn't mention which I think hurts the Colts a lot to be honest with you okay because when you have a young quarterback. Um, and you're still getting to know your receivers. It's always nice to have an outlet guy out of the backfield. And Naheem Hines is now a member of the Buffalo Bills. Right. Um, and he's one of the better special teams guys, pass-catching betters out of the backfield. Um, I know what Indy did to New England last year with Jonathan Taylor and so on, but Jonathan Taylor hasn't really looked all that much like Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, how how is this for symmetry, John? Uh, the Patriots are tied for the NFL lead with 16 takeaways. Right. They're also tied for the NFL worst with 16 turnovers. hmm But one of the teams they're tied with are the Indianapolis Colts. Colts, yeah. And the Saints, by the way, have 16 turnovers as well.
0: So it tells so. me then the team that takes care of the ball on Sunday is probably going to win this game.
6: Well, I heard your final – yes, and I heard your final score. And now it all makes sense to me, because since the Patriots have sixteen turnovers and the Colts have sixteen turnovers, you have both teams scoring sixteen. Yep. <laughs> okay.
0: <So I'm> <laughs> well, I just I didn't realize the symmetry, but hey, I'm glad it worked out. <laughs>
6: so I, I, I can't I, I can't argue with that kind of logic, and so on, even if it, if it's a bit of a stretch. Right. But, um, right. I, I think it'll be. Uh, you know, nothing, if, if other than the Detroit game, if you really think about and the Cleveland game, I get that. And, and those are two, been two defenses that haven't played all well this year.
8: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, nothing has really come all that easy to the Pats, Okay. And, you know, last week they were down in the first half and the Jets made them a little nervous at the end of the game. There's no question about it. Um, but, uh, I, uh, the Indianapolis to me is, Got to be among the five most disappointing teams in the league this year. Um, Matt Ryan has, has come in and, and, and terrible, as you know, he's now been benched. Their defense has been spotty, considering the personnel. I've learned I, I hard to believe that Matt Eberfluss, uh, his departure to Chicago, you know, they have Gus Bradley there, but they just don't look the same uh, defensively.
8: Mm-hmm. So
6: I don't know if I'm going to pick 1916 necessarily. Um, but I think I think the Patriots get the job done here against a very disappointing
0: Colts team. Well, if the Patriots do get the job done, then they get a week off. Then they get the Jets at home. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the rather interesting stretch really starts thereafter. And, of course, the, the question that I've been asking today is, you know, Patriots still in this hunt or is hunting season over? And I realize that the the hunting season is still on for quite a while. You're four and four. You're still in the mix. But I'm wondering how realistic that really is, especially knowing what that you have the toughest remaining schedule of any other team in the NFL. Well,
6: what I think it comes what it comes down to is you know how many opportunities you get uh, against your division. That's the thing it always. That's the thing I always look at. Okay, and um, you know the, the Patriots so far uh you know, they they lost to the Miami, they beat the Jets, they haven't gotten the Bills yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and, and until then. And and listen, Buffalo is a team extremely talented, don't get me wrong. But they have this you know, I watched them against Green Bay last week and Josh Allen did two picks that were almost inexplicable. And he has a tendency to do that. You know, he he reminds you of like a nineteen seventies quarterback. You know, big, strong, um, amazing arm, mm-hmm. and then just sometimes, you know, either zones out or whatever and just throws a bad ball. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, those picks kind of kept Green Bay above water last, year, last week, even though the Packers lost by 10. Okay. But those picks forwarded a couple of teams. I mean, They looked like they were going to blow their doors out, and and by the fourth quarter, that was still a competitive game. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Buffalo still has some work to do. Most of the teams in the league still have some work to do. But as long as the Patriots, you know, can you know keep their head above water in the conference, they're three and two. um, Fuel some division wins, all right. Mm -hmm. And last year they were only three and three in the division, so they're going to probably have to do better than that. Yep. But, you know, it also, as you know, it also depends on what's going on uh, around the rest of the league. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as much as you think your team might not be playing all that well, there might be a team that's playing worse. I mean, we saw, you know, Pittsburgh didn't exactly blow anyone's doors off. Correct. But they don't get into the playoffs unless the Colts lose their last two games.
0: Correct. Yeah, that's right. Good stuff, Russell. Always appreciate you, brother. Thank you. My
6: pleasure. And uh, make it a sweet 16, I guess. Right. right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What was your favorite candy for Halloween, by the way?
6: Um, D, I would be Z, all of the above. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, my favorite candy, I'm an Almond Joy person. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, okay. because I justify the fact that the coconut is
0: fiber. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good justification. I like that one. Mine's are Twizzle- yeah. I like Twizzlers. Twizzlers are vastly oh, underrated. Have-
6: you know my fa am also my favorite thing to eat, my mom used to always sort them for that, God bless her. Yeah. I'm a black jelly beans person.
0: Ooh, yeah, yeah. Good jelly beans.
6: Yeah. Now not black licorice. Black yeah. black no. licorice, I think, is made by Goodyear.
0: Yeah, I think okay. you're right. I think you're right. But every other colour is absolutely fine. Yeah.
6: <laughs> right. But black jelly beans, that's that's fennel, it's aniseed, and so on. That's a two totally different thing. Yes, I'm correct. a big black jelly beans fan. But wow. I'll enjoy, enjoy, you know, sometimes okay. you feel like a nut. And when you do, you come on your show.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. That's
0: pretty good. I like that. Thanks, Russell. Talk to you next week, my friend. Oh, you got it, sir. You got it. Russell Baxter at Bax Football Guru uh, on Twitter. Ah, he just, he, he, never, he never fails to make me chuckle.
5: Come on, guys. It's game time. Yeah, Patriots. Did you earn some bragging rights this week? Did you lose? You shut your mouth! Make a move that you regret? I gave Peter Ronnie Brown. Okay. And he gave me Lexico Burris. The guy is in jail for two years, you moron. Did you go home crying and screaming? Every year I set this league up. Every year, and I never win. Time now for the Patriots Playbook Fantasy League Update. All right,
6: this is the greatest Sunday tradition ever.
0: The Iowa Cornstalkers continued to kick butt. Way to go, Nancy. All right. In first place, uh Iowa is uh what did they do last week? Where's their where's their uh where's the result? Oh, uh did she play last week? Did you have a bye week for some? Uh uh-uh, I don't see it. What happened? It must have gotten clipped. Oh well. She's in first place. <laughs> Team Tiggy has risen to second. Nip Tuck is in third. Belichick's Video Store in fourth. Kamish is hanging around in the middle of the pack at five. Todd's taxidermist bring up the rear yet again. Six Team Pandas, seven Greek Pats Nation, eighth Rookstradamus, (sighs) ninth Belichick Mate, tenth Mac Attack, 11th ZBMOL, and then 12th is Todd's Taxidermist. Nancy lost this week to Team Tiggy. Oh, Team So she came. Oh, there it is. I see it right there. Thank you. She lost 171 to 104, so that's why Team Tiggy rose up to number two. So she had a pretty substantial lead, but still in first place, the Iowa Cornstalkers in our Patriots Playbook Fantasy League. All right, so there's your weekly update for players and non-players alike. Our thanks to uh, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com covering the Indianapolis Colts, Karen Garigian from the Boston Herald, uh, obviously um, Evan Lazar and Russell S. Baxter for joining the program as well. So I think 1916-ish. For Sunday. We'll see how that rolls. All right. Uh same patch time. Same patch channel next week, even though there is a bye week involved. Do we want to do something special for next week? We're kind of talking about this off the off the cuff here without us discussing it before we got on the air here. Do do we wanna we wanna try the The fan fan forum? The fan thing? So hey, cool. All right, so if you want to be on the show as a co host next week. Uh, DM or email or, you know, send a text to uh, Marine. Let's say Webradio at yep. Patriots.com. Or email, yeah, webradio at Patriots.com if you'd like to do that. We've done this. We did this a couple of times. We did this last year during the bye week, and we had a blast with the show. You know, we had five, six, ten people, I think, on at one time or another. And it wasn't the free-for-all that you think it might be. It was actually pretty fun talking about the Patriots and the existing problems and everything that's going on. So, yeah, let's do that next week. Next week's the bye week, so uh, we'll have the show here. But it's time for you to help be the star of that show. We'll get your thoughts on all things Patriots 2022. All right, so give Maureen the buzz. Thanks, Maureen, for all the help. See you next week.